0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode sixty-six of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Damed, Joined as I said, Trevor Damed, I got my own name wrong. I. I it happens. You know, I mean, that's
1: that's part of doing this thing. After, after about sixty-six shows, you stop caring what your name is.
0: Uh, well, Trevor's our, Trevor's
2: Trevor's name is Damon Good. Yes, uh, that's an you, that, that that that's an inside joke.
0: Yes, that's a a deep cut from just our personal interactions. That's probably like 15 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, That's, uh, of course, the co-host of the show, um, Matt Feuerstein, and uh, that other voice was uh, the lovely guest of this episode returning again, uh, Dr. Keith Lipinski. Uh thank you Keith for coming it back I this was a busy weekend for you I um, mean you just put on a show your promotion AAW last night I saw a lot of people talking about it. I feel like I feel like for some reason that last night seemed like the 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 day on Twitter at least from the people I follow it was like can we just say independent wrestling is back I know I know GCW ran a million shows during WrestleMania weekend but it was the most I've seen other than that some, uh, people live tweeting an independent wrestling show since covid started I think
1: yeah, it was great. It was, it was really fun to be back. I, of course, was not there. I was, I was too important to go to that show, but I was watching it while unpacking boxes on Fight TV. And yeah, I definitely felt that a lot of people have enjoyed what we've done over the last few weeks, which is basically do like tell almost television studio like tapings and presenting them on Twitch live or recorded and then putting them on our AAW on demand site and also on the High Spot Studio Network. So something where I felt we had you know, five solid weeks of television before this. And I think we really actually brought people's interest. And for the fact that we had people fighting the crowd definitely proves that COVID is over guys. So (laughs) you can can go ahead and carry off that mask, go ahead and burn all the, that hand sanitizer. Well, maybe don't do that. Please don't do that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great night. Uh, definitely replays are available right now on fights and yeah, it's been a, Crazy, crazy week in my life. I I moved uh, four blocks uh, south and one block west. I'm not going to tell everybody where I moved because I just worry about the groupies (laughs) and, like, the Italian sex magazines, you know, taking pictures. (laughs) Because, like, for some reason or another, the the house that we got, they didn't really believe in having, like, privacy in the bathrooms. And it was very odd. It was sort of like, you know, like, how am I supposed to enjoy my, you know, usual ritual post-show of taking a, a lovely Mr. Bubble Bubble bath and drinking like four or five Zimas all at the same time, <laughs> like I was Kodo Abuchi. But um, uh, but guys, as always, every time I come on the show, you guys know this, and I'm just gonna repeat it again at nauseam. Uh, this is one of my favorite podcasts, and I, I enjoy talking to you guys. And more importantly, I enjoy talking about pro wrestling that I actually enjoy and like. Because I feel <laughs> in 2020 there's so much incredible amount of negativity and awfulness that are out there right now. So the fact that I was able to go back in time to see a a very good ring of honor show that I attended, although I didn't really, it was weird because when, when we talked about this as being the official Chicago correspondent of the podcast, I was just sitting there trying to remember anything from the show. And thankfully while watching the show, it brought back some nice and warm, fuzzy memories.
0: Yeah, and uh, that's uh I was going to try and co- – uh, my brain is off because I was trying to think of a transition to the usual plug for our podcast feed. I couldn't think of a transition, so this is a non-transition. Just to say w- there's a lot to talk about on the show, but before that, always like to plug our podcast feeds. We're on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network, which is a great feed with a lot of different other podcasts on it. But if you want just us, we also have a feed basically on every podcast search thing that's just – through the years, T H R O H for through, and uh, so you can get us just on our own or with a bunch of other great podcasts. Works either way. But actually, and also and, of- also, and
2: also, and also, you found the podcast the first time. Just believe in yourself, and I promise you'll find the other episodes too.
0: <laughs> but. Um- there's a lot to get to, so, and there's actually no news between the last show and this show, because the last show was literally the day before this show, so we might as well get right to it. Uh, Nowhere to Run took place May 14th, 2005, at the Frontier Fieldhouse in Chicago Ridge, Illinois, in front of a reported crowd of 800 fans. Uh, We open backstage with Brian Danielson, who says he woke up feeling the effects of the previous night's cage match with Homicide, but he is proud he won their five-match series. He says tonight what he's really looking forward to, though, is – tonight is what he's really looking forward to. Everything has led up to his world title shot tonight. Alex Shelley then walks at this point to start a little storyline that will continue throughout the first half of the show. He says he needs a tag partner for tonight. He immediately sucks up to Brian. He says they both think beards are cool. They both think airplane spins are cool. There's one point you can see if you watch while Shelley's going on where very clearly it looks like um, Brian is trying his best not to laugh. He's barely holding on.
2: As as Uh, Brian Danielson does in promos. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Brian was very known at this point. It's funny, like, he's definitely gotten way more more comfortable on the mic. And while, Matt, you and I have talked about, we always thought, like, people saying that he never had charisma, that's not true. That's kind of, a, like, he always had charisma. He definitely, early on, would, like, have trouble sometimes keeping his composure. Or even on Tonight will be a show that requires him to be kind of fake- Frustrated and hes he wasn't good at selling that quite yet he wasn't he
2: wasn't a good uh v- verbal actor
0: yet <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah but very charming he says that he says um he ends this by just saying brian danielson you know he rejects alex shelley says all i care about is the ring of honor title, and he just walks away
2: one thing i did enjoy was that he he did a promo where he was like all i care about is winning that match tonight and then shelley comes do you want to be my tag partner and and danielson's like were, were you were you just listening to what i just said <laughs> I, I i like that little touch
0: yeah that was cool um Next, we get a James Gibson backstage promo. He says, last night, losing to Austin Aries for the world title. He says, that was a disappointment for him. But rather than wallow in self-pity, he is going to get back on his horse by facing DJ Whitmer tonight, which, you know, I don't, it was not intentional, but knowing the, uh, for people, longtime Ring of Honor fans that knew the history of punk relentlessly making fun of Gabe for saying that uh, BJ Whitmer was like a horse that got a good chuckle out of me. saying, I'm going to get back on the horse by All, facing BJ Whitmer.
2: Also, if this was AEW, he really would have come in on a horse. <laughs> um, one, um, one thing, one thing I noticed about Gibson's promo here—it was good, but very breathy. He was like, oh, I, "I'm so upset about uh, b- losing to Austin Aries, <laughs> but BJ it, Whitmer." Good, really good dramatic
1: pauses. Awesome. Yes, really good. And also also the camera was sort of right in front of his face during the time. Like at least Danielson, he sort of had to back up a little bit. And it's something where, you know, like I I think when you're that close to somebody, you're going to notice their pauses. That's true.
0: And... So Gibson just says his goal tonight is just to win any one of the three Ring of Honor titles. That's his new goal. Uh, so I guess he's just moving on from winning the World Title to any title. Uh, Shelly, Alex Shelly, at this point, again, interrupts. He apologizes to Gibson for costing him those extra five minutes when Ares uh, went to a time limit draw with Gibson a few shows back. And Shelly interrupted. Uh, Shelly says they both like Bud Light. Gibson likes John Deere tractors. And Shelly thinks they're okay. And then Alex at this point asks Gibson, would you be my tag partner tonight? Gibson angrily turns him down. He points out exactly what Shelly just pointed out, that Shelly pulled crap on him in Boston on that show against Ares. And he just walks away. And Shelly at this point says, this is getting ridiculous that everyone's turning him down. Um, Next, we have Austin Aries, Roderick Strong, and Jack Evans cutting a backstage promo. Very front-loaded promos on the show tonight. It's just Austin Austin Aries (laughs) doing the promo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, the other two guys are there, but yeah, it's just an Aries promo. Yeah, Aries says they're back in Chicago, the home of his beloved Chicago Cubs, and where he beat Samoa Joe in their world title rematch. Aries says tonight he continues the most demanding and toughest schedule any champion has ever taken on. He says last night he beat James Gibson. Tonight he'll beat Brian Danielson. And then tomorrow he'll get on a plane and beat Super Crazy in his hometown, which, is, in fact, is true. He did actually wrestle Super Crazy and, uh, I believe, Ricky Marvin in a three-way in Mexico the next day. Uh, Aries says he's going to prove he's the most dominant champion in Ring of Honor history. And Jack and Roddy are going to take out Alex Shelley tonight once and for all. So-
2: Aries as a promo was interesting at this point because his promos usually weren't very good in ROH Um, at this at this point, not ever but um the night before at the final showdown it was his promo was pretty good but if you remember uh trevor i showed you a clip i found online of an indie promo that he did like a couple years before this and like he had a lot of personality uh, he wasn't great or anything but like more, much more so than he was showing here so i think he was he was i think he was just kind of trying to find his his character and like what roh would accept i don't know but i feel like as he became closer to himself he became a better promo
1: do you or think it like- was the standard issue, uh, you know, collared t, t-, t- collared shirt that he had to wear for all these promos? Yeah, it's, it, 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 was the sh-
2: it was the shirt. It was the shirt. I blame It was the, the shirt. shirt,
1: necklace, and sunglasses combo, which really is, you know, the markings <laughs> of a great champion. You know, if I had. All three of those, I too could be ROH heavyweight champion. You know, I was, I I was really hoping after the first two promos that Alex Shelley would show up there for a second and be like, "Hey guys, oh wait, never mind." (laughs) And at least continue that theory throughout the whole
2: show. That honestly would have been great. Like they really should have done that. I'm not even joking. (laughs) Like
1: literally, all he has to do is open up a door for a second and say, "Hey guys, oh."
2: Never mind. <laughs> and just close the door. That's all. Like Hawk walking in on that <laughs> Vader promo on that WWF pre-show way back when.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that as a student of the business, like I bet all those Gen X guys knew about that. And it was really good that basically this was, as you mentioned before, an Austin Aries promo. Because Jack Evans and Roderick Strong got their orders to take Alex Shelley out once and for all. And then don't, they don't say anything. <laughs> or just, that's it. We, we gotta we gotta go get ready. Maybe the arcade games that are by the gym area are opened up. Ooh, arcade so, games. So, you know, uh, I would I would like to note that I, I definitely enjoy Alex Shelley being you know squirrely, as I like to call here, uh, just trying to sit there and interfere on every promo. And there are some promos later on in the night where I wish he would just show up asking for you know just for people to be his friend constantly. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he he's really good at being kind of the smarmy, almost a little bit pathetic. I I mean, I, I guess, you know, this is an old reference, but I know like in the 80s, they would say, oh, like Jim Cornette plays like an Eddie Haskell character for Leave it to Beaver, which is even before my time, but I know enough to know for those who don't that Eddie Haskell would be like the kind of shitty neighbor who would always suck up to like the Beaver's parents, but he was deep down little shit and you knew he was a little shit. And, and Alec Shelley is so good at that that sometimes even when I think like... We've had a problem lately on the show, Matt and I. I think like sometimes telling like when did they start telegraphing Alex Shelley's heel turn, which is coming up in a few shows, and when did when was that not yet a plan? Because the problem is like sometimes even when Alex Shelley's trying to be a face, you still he you still almost want to just assume that he's. uh being an asshole, it's almost like that old Kids in the Hall skit where Dave Foley played the guy whose voice was naturally sarcastic. So even when he wasn't being sarcastic, everyone just thought everything he said was sarcastic. And I feel like Elk Shelley has a little of that where it's hard for him to be a face because you just naturally think everything he says is like disingenuous.
2: I think everyone has been waiting the entire st- length of this show for you to make a dave foley reference the sure. yeah
1: i actually had that on the top right of the bingo card
2: game, so <laughs> i think we will be good if, yeah. if someone can make a state reference
1: and talking about jamie gibson i I might, I might i might win before that we get to the third match
2: the other thing that trevor finally admitted was that he um that he that leave it to beaver is before his time so he is not in fact everybody older than 70. <laughs> <laughs>
1: As, it as, as someone that knows who Louis the Beaver is, uh, I would like to tell you that, yes, he definitely is not my age.
0: <laughs> I, I, uh, I definitely just my body feels that old. I am not that actually that old. But yes. uh, moving on, uh, James Gibson, our opening match of the show, James Gibson defeated B.J. Whitmer via submission in 13 minutes, four seconds when he made B.J. tap out to the guillotine choke. Uh, Matt, you know, James Gibson, this is probably like the lowest profile match he's on Ring and so far. He's getting the opener. He's working BJ Whitmer, although I guess technically he's a tag team champ. But uh, what do you think about this?
2: Yeah, this is the second match of the weekend that's sort of like a name opener. You know, like the first night of the, of the double shot had Shelly versus Strong. This has one of the tag champs versus the guy who just had his overall title shot the night before, so this isn't like your standard issue undercard, lower card opener, and you know I think they work it a little bit more hard hitting than your typical opener as well, um, and it was definitely action packed and entertaining. Um, they did a lot of legwork earlier in the match that didn't really lead to anything later on um there are actually a few matches on this show where that's sort of a complaint that i have um and you know kind of gets into like a little a little bit of move spamming near the end but it was entertaining like it was it was a solid match i I don't think either of them were shooting for the moon here but it was um you know the gibson his execution we always say it it's great his selling when he was um selling was good um, and Whitmer selling was good for a little while too. They just sort of forgot it near the end. But like uh, they're just like little touches. I don't even know if they're like intentional touches but just things that I enjoyed like when Gibson did an Indian Deathlock and Whitmer says, fuck you, pal, and slaps his way out. I, I like the idea of wrestlers just like aggressively calling each other pal during the match. <laughs> I feel like that should have just been a thing. It's like, no, I'm going to hit you. Pal, and then just like trying to like play, say pal in a more angry sounding way, um, or it escalates from pal to buddy, yeah, and then maybe like, no, I'm not going to do that, friend, yeah, (laughs) compadre by the end, comrade, that would be good, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) but they did, they did not, they did not go that route. It was not a, it was not an escalating um, terms of endearment match, which you know you should book it. Keith, for your next show, I
1: I'm, F- I'm thinking of new match ideas on a daily basis, and 90 yeah. percent of the times I think of are utter crap. But in terms of endearment match, yeah. where it's basically <laughs> the first one to sit there and say uh, "I love you", <laughs> you loses. Yeah, it's sort of like an I quit match, but it's sort of like a stages of hell where it's sort of you know. Yeah. I would think you would have you know, pal would be on the bottom, then buddy. Then maybe compadre and sit there and yeah. see who eventually sits there and says that they love the other person.
2: What I think you should do is like have the have the terms of endearment on the on poles in four corners, and yeah. you have to get you have to get one every, one has to be taken down from every single pole before someone can grab the ladder and get I love you from the top of the hanging from the ceiling. That's my that's or my maybe, idea. Maybe
1: Ultimate X style. But with the San Francisco 49ers buckets on each side with the I love you being in a big, huge heart up in the middle as opposed to like this big, weird X or some sort of championship title or maybe an I love you championship belt that the other person has to wear for 60 days. All right. Well, we've we settled it.
0: Um, <laughs> Matt, I, I think you've inadvertently come up with like the perfect blow off match for the old team hell no feud. I think it an endearment match. Maybe like guest ref Shirley McLean, just for the little wink. And, you know, <laughs> the therapist on the outside is like, look, the only way you guys are going to settle this is it's not about being each other. It's about being able to admit how you really feel. And then, the old terms from from the promotion that brought you the good housekeeping match the terms of endearment match
2: yeah well shirley yeah. McLean is almost 90 so i feel like we should just we should just get that out of the way right now keith book it so while shirley McLean is still able to <laughs> to get in there um you know maybe brian danielson will be available soon um just just get just get it done anyway um, you know, he would love this
1: and by the way by the way also the fact shirley McLean probably knows what leave it to beaver is and the other fact is, if we have to bring in Sherlan McLean, this would have to become one of them sponsorship deals, guys. So that's sort of a killing it out. So maybe we could sit there and hire a Sherman McLean impersonator at a lower rate. So.
2: Yeah. So, um, James Gibson hits a running knee <laughs> 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 to BJ's head, and that gets good. Play. No, um, no, I actually, there was one spot that I, that I really did like. Oh, actually. No, before I say that, here's here's one note that I enjoyed. I forgot about this. So Gibson, he goes for a neck on BJ Whitmer, but he doesn't grasp his head at all, and he just sort of like pulls BJ down by his hair. And Punk, I couldn't tell if he was trying to be funny or if he just wasn't really paying attention, but he goes, Nice neck breaker. Like Like says it real <laughs> real seriously. And like it wasn't. He just he just he just was falling and he yanked BJ's ponytail. Um and then another spot that I really liked was so um gibson like he was in a pinning position and he and he flips back from it onto whitmer and with whitmer in like a front guillotine choke and whitmer makes the ropes and like the spot had a delayed pop because it took the crowd a second to realize what was happening like they saw uh gibson get out of the pinning combination but like it was like oh wait a second he's in the choke now and that was pretty cool um so whitmer got the ropes and then gibson put the choke back on um and, and, but then like picked him up and drove him into the turnbuckle. Oh, BJ picked him up, put, drove him into the turnbuckle, hit an exploder, then went for the Ritz clutch with Gibson reversed into the roll up, then a big clothesline, then Whitman goes for the top, the Whitmer goes for the top rope exploder, but Gibson reversed it into an inverted DDT, uh gets a two count goes right into the choke and gets the tap out so that's what i sort of mean by like a like kind of move spamming near the end like a bunch of two counts and stuff and they just sort of ignored all the leg stuff they did early but um i still thought it was entertaining like you know i think it could have been better but like i said i don't think they were really shooting for the moon it was definitely above average and you know i I just enjoyed gibson's little touches and stuff so an intern a term of endearment i would give this match is good (laughs) good
0: Uh, Keith, what do you think about uh, this? Did, did, would you give this a term of endearment or just a term of ambivalence?
1: I will sit there and give it a swell rating because <laughs> okay. I enjoy this. I thought this was a fine opener. Uh, I definitely, I mean, these guys knew each other going into this and were friends and I think every time you have friends wrestling each other, you know, it definitely, they'll sit there and try and pull the best out of each other. There was one odd moment though, and I don't know if you guys caught this. Uh, uh, Gibson went for a sunset flip on uh on BJ and was holding BJ down. And usually by the sunset flip, you're holding them by the side. As he was doing the sunset flip, he was rolling forward and basically was putting pressure on BJ's taint while he was (laughs) sitting there. And like, did not, I'm surprised this was not the finish of the match. Uh, Cause it was just very odd looking. It's just like, you know, like, some sort of, you know, uh, a, a taint Driver 98 or something like that. But, uh, no, it was, it was enjoyable. I mean, your, your announced team here is Punk and Prasak, and I thought they had some really nice interchanges as Punk basically was just talking about just killing Jimmy Rave tonight and how that was going to be great. Also mentioning how he's going to disfigure him, and it's going to be great. And then at one point he called BJ Whitmer a tag team specialist. And really I always think of, you know, when I think of tag team specialists, uh, Janetti Michaels, Whitmer. But I mean, Whitmer, <laughs> held, though, however, held the tag team belts with multiple partners in Ring of Honor, so that makes a lot of sense. But uh, yeah, it was it was a fun. I thought it was a fun, swell little opener, and I, I thought both guys worked really hard. I mean, I, BJ Whitmer was one of those guys that was always very solid in there. I wouldn't sit there and say every once in a while he would do something that was spectacular, but in general, he was a good hand, sort of speak, in the ring. So it was it was a nice, fun little opener. That did not last. It's, its welcome, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it.
0: Uh, I enjoyed this match maybe a little less than you guys. I, I would give it like what they say, the gentleman's three, like a, just a solid three stars, which is perfectly that, fine. That's for pretty little- similar
2: to what I would give it. I would say, okay. That, that, I, very- I think maybe maybe just our different perceptions of how good, it, like you know, like how uh, how much of an honor a three star match is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely. Um, but, like, like you said, Matt, um, yeah, there was the thing where Gibson really, like, zeroes in on, uh, um, Whitmer's leg and then gets kind of largely ignored after, like, there's this one run where he's really all over it. And, and you think, wow, this is going to be a big story of the rest of the match. And then it really isn't, uh, like Matt, you were saying, um, also how it kind of spams finishers at the end. I actually thought, you know, I agree it was just kind of do big moves, but I thought that was also exciting. And yeah, it was a good solid opener. It didn't have to be, it was didn't have to be great. It's funny because I was slightly disappointed just because at this point, my, um, My standards for James Gibson are so high, but I mean this was perfectly a good opener, and we I always try and pick out now every basically every Gibson match some little thing he does, and the thing I really liked on this match I always just try and find a detail because he's like the master of the little things. Is there's a moment where um in the match where Whitmer is choking Gibson on the ropes and they stop and then um. Gibson then takes a different bump for a different move and Gibson basically like he acts all like stunned and and, like wobbly and he wobbles like over halfway across the ring and drapes himself over the rope so that bj can choke him again and in so many other wrestlers on paper that sounds just ridiculous but the way gibson like sells it the wobble all the way over like you believe it and you go like that makes sense but it's also at the same time you can tell clearly he's walking over halfway across this, the ring and putting himself in position for this next move but just so many other wrestlers i feel like would have it would just be like almost business exposing, but he, again, just the acting and the way he sells it. You're like, Oh yeah, he just was really out of sorts and walked halfway across the ring and then slumped on the ropes perfectly to get choked again. And again, it's just that little stuff like that where you go, well, what makes James Gibson great? And that on, you know, that doesn't sound like the coolest thing, but Gibson is just full of like little details like that, where that a lot of guys wouldn't pick up on or really execute well. But, um, after the match, uh, BJ shoves Gibson away. He's angry. He lost the match. That actually gets fairly big boos, and then there's a big shake his hand chant, and then eventually the two shake, and they even hug. So truly, oh. again, like Keith said, good. For, they were friends in real life. So, and uh this, this was also a show I felt like where the crowd, you could tell they were a hot crowd, but there were moments where it felt like they weren't mic'd great, or maybe the audio mix wasn't great. It was one of those shows where you could tell, like, I felt like during this match, you could tell the crowd absolutely loved James Gibson, but it, it also sounded like it. It wasn't quite getting completely. made, probably what it sounded like live.
2: Yeah. When 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 you say wasn't mic great, like I, I think I mentioned this before, like do do indie shows mic the crowd? I mean I mean obvious. obvious, obvious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in two thousand in, in, in two thousand two thousand and five.
1: In certain in certain independent promotions, and I'm not going to name names. Mm-hmm. Uh, cough, dot com. Uh, we usually will not mic the crowd, but hopefully we'll have the announcers somewhere by the crowd. Cause there's yeah. good and bad things about micing the crowd. Yeah. Uh, the good thing is you can get a feel for what the room is. The bad thing is if you have an asshole who keeps on talking constantly during the show, you basically get his numbers. But at, at times I, I felt that this crowd was my great because there would be little things that someone would yell and I would hear him directly. And I was like, Oh yeah, I know. I think I know who said that. Was it me? <laughs> and then I realized it wasn't me. And- <laughs> I, and I have to apologize. I think I had a cold this weekend, uh, that of, of this show. So maybe I just wasn't giving it my all. Maybe I was saving it for the steel cage match.
2: Yeah, were you the guy who yelled that it was going to be uh, Jimmy Rave's Waterloo, and then said, "And then <laughs> said, haven't you mean, heard like of Napoleon?"
1: I would say, as a big fan of ABBA. Uh, there, was,
0: there was. This is going to be your where- Mamma Mia. <laughs> That was, was yeah. More, I was going to say that more Ronello would be in the crowd saying
1: that. Yeah. Well, there was something, and, and I know we'll talk about this match in a little. There was a, a match later on in the show with the Nigel McGuinness and Colt, where there was an accidental low blow. And literally, as the crowd was sort of quiet with this accidental low blow, someone yelled as loud as they could,
0: "Try and walk it off." <laughs> <laughs> That's good, uh, good advice. So <laughs> uh, the next match on the show is actually the only thing match on the show that does not make this DVD, and it, maybe it's a, it's good that it didn't because what what was next was a four-corner survival match. Matt Seidel defeated ACL, Matt Stryker, and the masked Wisconsin superstar who was actually H.C. Uh, Loke.
2: One of my favorite and- kinds of matches. It was a double-mat match. It was actually – I believe it was the veto.
0: Yeah. sorry for interrupting. oh no thank god thank you uh because huh I, I did not know that um, you know that makes me wonder did we get loke right when we said he was the uh mass new york superstar yesterday on the last show i
2: think, I, I, think was- I think shane Hagedorn said he was when uh went yeah. on his on his uh on on um on an honorable mention when he covered a f- the final showdown so that's why i thought it was him well though, uh, he, um, not not, not this time not that, that time show. yeah
0: yeah, so and that's a it's a Ring of Honor mystery, folks. The most tantalizing of them all. But someone, uh,
1: someone text message Taggedoring right now. please.
2: <laughs> but anyway, this match had two mats, so I loved it. But I never, but I never saw it. Just loved it.
0: But the, uh, from the PW Insider live report from Justin Carling, he wrote at the watching this match at the time, he says the ring broke during this match, causing a fifteen to twenty minute delay. So I don't know if that's why they didn't put this match on the show because there was actually seemed like there was fairly judicious editing of the entrances, and they still barely got the show in under the three hours. Yeah, it would have had to have been a movement. double
2: DVD at this point if they were gonna mm. if they were gonna do it, yeah.
0: But, but I mean, also probably having the ring break during this. So that's why this next – presumably that's why this next segment happened because what we get next is the embassy of Jimmy Ray, Prince Nada, and Jay Chung. They just walk to the ring. The crowd chants, Punk's going to kill you at Jimmy. Nada grabs the mic and manhandles Jay Chung as usual. He grabs her roughly by the hair arm and the hair, and he calls her Jackie Chan before he orders her to be a footstool for Ray.
2: And, and, um, and, and Punks calls her Wang Chung, which I guess is more of a play on words than it is racist. But the other one was definitely racist. Yes. I,
0: I wrote my notes. This gets possibly more cheers than booze. I think it got a bit of both, but I think the cheers actually outnumbered the booze on that. I mean – Chicago's different. a
1: big Jackie Chan town, though, so <laughs> yes. they
0: maybe just got confused real quick. And I, I don't know. So, uh, the, the crowd chants for Nana to shut the fuck up, which is now happening basically every time Nana cuts a promo. It's his signature chant, yeah. I- exactly, uh, at this point. Uh, Nana shits on Chicago. He mocks people in the crowd before demanding respect for Jimmy Rave. Rave, at this point, gets on the mic and he tells Nana he's not doing the cage match tonight. He says these people don't even deserve it. Nana agrees that they don't deserve it, but he reminds Rave of all the perks he's given Rave, like limousines, Jade Chung. And he says, look, I've signed you to do a job, and tonight you're going to do your job and finish off CM Punk. The crowd chants, you're Punk's bitch, as the segment ends. So, yeah, I, I watching this before I kind of re- remembered on the research that uh, the ring broke, I was like, why the heck are they uh, – like just doing kind of a random promo segment that doesn't really add anything. But apparently, you know, especially uh, apparently when I paid closer attention, I think you can see people in the background running to fix the ring. I don't know exactly how the ring broke. If it was like, I don't know, I don't know what, but I mean, this was obviously literally just there to stall for time was probably completely unplanned, but I mean, perfectly fine piece of mic work, but this is not technically, typically something Ray of Honor did.
1: Um, even even with Prince Nana calling my hometown Chicago, Illinois, saying that we are in the bottom of the cesspool, you still have to love Nana.
0: Yes, I, Nana, fantastic uh, performer. And that brings us to Chad Collier defeating Jimmy <laughs> Jacobs via submission in ten minutes forty six seconds. We made him tap out to the Texas Cloverleaf. Uh, Keith, what did you think about uh, this match, uh, the tag champs going down in straight singles matches?
1: Well, you know, first of all, if you remember the last time I was on the show, the big gimmick that we had was you had a lovely recap of the report that I had written that I had, you know, painstakingly probably spent up being up till 5 a.m. Uh, the day of the show basically writing up to send to all the masses. Uh Unfortunately, it doesn't look like I wrote a magnum opus for this show. However, I, you did share with me something I wrote to, uh, the lovely people at the PW Torch. And I, I will read that right now, my review of this match. So Chad Collier defeated Jimmy Jacobs. Collier won with his Texas Cloverleaf submission. Lapinski said this was bad. Uh, <laughs> yes, a, a very much in-depth journalism that you come to expect from the Dr. Keith name. Uh, yeah, I I, I enjoyed this match a lot more now than back then when I said it was quote unquote bad, although I did, gave no context to what made it bad. Uh, I would sit there and say, was this match five stars? No. But was this match very entertaining? Yes. Did it make me miss Jimmy Jacobs? Because I think in, in general, when a lot of people think about Jimmy Jacobs, they have to remember how long of a career this guy had and just the different types of matches that he have with people. Did it make me miss Chad Collier? It maybe made me miss the Metal Master a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it Match. There was some fun little parts in this. There were some nice, you know, reversals. Uh, Punk went into what Chad Collier usually ate and basically said he ate ice cream and six beers a day, which, you know, honestly, frankly, sounds like a fantastic diet. Those are the results. I mean, I I, I had ice cream and six beers, only six beers a day. Like, and I looked like Chad Collier and had the charisma and raw sensuality of a Chad Collier. <laughs> I'd probably go on the Chad Collier uh, diet, but, uh, you know, I thought, uh, I, I enjoyed this match. I thought it was very, very good.
0: I, I, I would say that I like this match. I would put just probably a hair under the opener. Um, I think like the other the the opener, it's you know another match where there's no real story and there's no real issue going in or even come out. It's more, it's just basically to set up future tag title uh, challengers. Um, the I, I Collier didn't do much mat work here. I you know I think Collier sometimes people just think of him as the mat work guy, but he could work kind of just a more quote unquote like the modern indie match of the day, like the more action packed. I mean he even flies here. Um. I, I, and I also think Jimmy Jacobs, you know, Jimmy Jacobs is one of those wrestlers, he's very divisive. I like Jimmy Jacobs quite a bit. And I think one of the reasons why he's divisive is you see in this match where Jimmy Jacobs, like he does, you know, he has some, a little bit of flying, like the uh, the big senton he always does that just crushes people. But like he, when he's on offense, is when you see in matches like this, like he doesn't work like you expect these super tiny guy to do. Like he does a lot of. Brawling, He does, like, battering around, shoulders he loves to do into guys midsections. Like, he wrestles like a little spitfire. And I feel like a lot of people look at a guy of Jimmy Jacobs kind of stature and, and build, and they just think, okay, you've got to wrestle, like, a member of Special K, a member of – got to wrestle, like, Jack Evans or something. And I feel like maybe that throws some people off because it's just the, the expectations game of, oh, he's brawling more. He's, you know, maybe people that are – you know, I, I know people that love Jimmy Jacobs used to compare him to like an Eddie Gilbert but you know if you're one generation removed from that maybe you're just you're just ingrained in your brain that small guy that's not muscular has to be high flyer and he isn't and in this match you know while well, he picks his spots he isn't but I think this is a good um, decent you know second match on the car I get although I guess technically third and uh, the other thing I'll point out is before the uh, start of the match, we get a You Beat Eddie Chan. And for those wondering who go back and watch us why that happened, it's because this was one of those times where, uh, Jimmy Jacobs had just wrestled Eddie Guerrero, I think on SmackDown, in a match where, like, Eddie is just wrestling some schlub, quote unquote. And I think he loses by DQ. And so the crowd just kind of acknowledging that. But, uh, Matt, what did you think about the match?
2: Yeah, I, I in our rewatch, I've never been anything but, um, impressed by jimmy jacobs and his stuff um you know in what we've watched so far i think he's a very consistent solid wrestler so I, I definitely don't see why anybody would have i mean maybe the stuff he did later on was m- more indulgent but he's good like you know he's a, he's good for his position and um i actually thought in some ways this match was better than the opener like it was maybe not as exciting like the were you know neither of these two are as big of i guess roh stars uh, as uh Gibson and Whitmer, especially Collier, you know, who's only around sporadically. But I thought they did a good job. I think it told a more sound story in terms of you know they did do some back work, which actually played into the finish because of the Texas Cloverleaf. Um, you know whether it was tilt world backbreakers or German suplexes. Actually, Collier hit a really high angle bridging German suplex at one point, and like both Jacobs landed at a really high angle and Collier's bridge had a really high angle. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you know, Collier got him in like uh, a Brunar San Martino over the shoulder style backbreaker. Um, you know, they, they, they went to the floor a little bit. I don't know. It was, I mean, it was nothing super memorable, but I thought it was very solidly worked. And I thought, it, you know, and Collier winning got a big pop. So I don't know if that's for Collier himself or just the concept of the tag champions, both tapping out in a row. Um, but, you know, I, I, I thought it was a, a solid concept. I, you know it built it did build to two tag team title matches which is what you want so um you know good stuff i thought you know pretty good
0: um and so we go backstage at this point to alex shelley who is bummed that no one's going to be his tag partner tonight shelley says he i can't say shelley says they can't say he blames anybody for feeling that way but he points out he that he's owned up to everything he's done in his past Uh, shelley then says he was the brains of generation x but he's made his bed and now he's going to have to lie in it gabe does his usual thing where he says cut from behind the camera shelley sighs Gabe wishes him good luck tonight. Shelly says he's going to need it. Shelly then takes two steps, and we then see that the entire promo, inexplicably, was cut in the bathroom.
1: Because that's <laughs> now, always funny. And yeah, you know and, what? All wrestlers think that's hilarious. So guess where
0: most wrestlers want
1: to cut promos, guys? I'll take a hint. The bathroom. The best acoustics.
2: So, so, okay. That's a big reason why, actually. Keith, you've shot a lot of promos. How many have been in the bathroom? What percent would you say? I would sit
1: there and say a good 25%. Wow. Because cause at one time, though, the bathroom at the Berwyn Eagles Club was one of the quietest places that you could actually shoot promos in. So for a quiet aspect, the only problem is you have to sit there and have someone guide, guard the door while you're shooting a promo in the bathroom. <laughs> and then that just sounds incredibly just it, – it sounds very – not so good. It's important to wash your hands after every promo. Eyes out. Well, that's a good thing. I could wash my hands and wash my eyes out after every promo, <laughs> nice. after cr- every cringeworthy promo I did. So, you know, uh, the most important thing about this promo is we never see Alex Shelley use the bathroom. So we yeah, don't that, know. Like, that would make sense why he'd be in there unless we saw other re- – like, he sort of figured out that the showers at the, uh, uh, at the Frontier Park Fieldhouse were right by there, so the wrestlers would basically have to walk by there. So potentially he was looking for people – sit there. And the other thing that would have been funnier if Shelly told the guys, you know, you want to wrestle again, because I bet you that I'll get you a double payday. And then there'd be (laughs) like a
0: slew of wrestlers that would
1: come by him.
0: (laughs) So, um, the uh the the rest of the promo this is the part uh, that i thought was hilarious where uh so ha- at this point in the promo shelly takes two steps we see that the entire promo has been shot in the bathroom but then shelly then goes to open to a, a stall presumably to use the bathroom himself and for some reason the camera stays on and follows him and it's like and clearly it's to to capture what comes next but in that moment if you're following like just the storyline logic why is the cameraman going to follow alex shelly as he goes to use a bathroom i don't know but it's it, it's a weird moment. But I'm, I'm, can,
2: I'm canceling this cameraman
1: already. Though where he's followed, he's
0: basically you know what he's doing. He's got the hots
1: for Alex Shelley. He's hoping that Shelley was going to ask him to be his tag team partner. Like it's, <laughs> it's just you know like something where maybe it's doing like uh you know just a, like a, you know spending the day my dream day with Alex Shelley. Where he asks other people <laughs> to be his partners, but not me. Um,
0: this 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 show truly was the mystery date of a uh, of uh, promos but uh so he goes to open the stall the camera stays on him and then we see that a fully clothed geared up delirious is just squatting on the toilet mouth wide open blank faced emotionless uh shelly asks if he'd like to be his partner tonight delirious still says nothing doesn't change his expression shelly points out that they both like the color green still no reaction from delirious Shelly finally just says, look, Delirious, if you want to be my tag partner, just don't respond. Shelly, I mean, Delirious does nothing, so Shelly excitedly just goes, you know, I got me a tag partner, and there we go, so tonight it will be Delirious and Alex Shelly against Generation Next, and this was still early in the time, I feel like, before Delirious's comedy, like, people, I think, were still really kind of having fun with exploring, like, having delirious surrounding comedy segments backstage and the fans were still really into his comedy, you know, during matches where maybe it would start to kind of burn people out. But this was very kind of in the heyday of delirious comedy. So I could see it being like a very well-received moment. Like, Oh, isn't this neat? But, um, that brings us to the third match on the DVD. Homicide defeats Doug Williams via pinball in 19 minutes flat when he counters a roll up into a pin uh uh, matt i'm gonna go cover the next match first so i'm gonna have matt how about you start us off on this one what do you think uh uh, according to comment i believe punk said on commentary i think that this was maybe punk maybe it was praise like i forget who that this was like i think a first time ever meeting for these two which you know seems a little bit crazy but i guess you know williams didn't always come over that often but you know two big names wrestling here
2: yeah i i another match I, i really enjoyed i thought this was the best match so far um you know, it's 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 interesting. Like I've mentioned this before, homicide is much more willing than the other guys that you consider like elite level ROH main eventers to do these undercard matches where he just wrestles. Um, and you know, maybe to some people that doesn't really stick with his character, especially right after he lost a big match. You think he'd be really angry and frustrated, and he just ends up doing a wrestling match. Um, but I like it. I think it's a cool way that you know change of pace, especially after Homicide just had so many of these big brawling matches over the past um few months with Danielson. And um and this was just a nice refreshing change of pace. You know, you just sort of got to see a little bit of that um you know, almost that like two thousand three homicide. Um, you know, it's a little bit of the homicide that wrestled Danielson in the first time they wrestled the year before, um just where he does wrestling. Um, you know, they go they go right into it right away. There's no like stare down or anything like that. They just grab each other's arms, get to the mat. Um then you know, Doug Williams is is kind of switching around. He goes from the arm, he goes to the leg. Um, at one point, Punk goes to Prasak. He goes, "Who do you think would win in a fight, Malcolm X or Winston Churchill?" Now, I was thinking about this question because it's like, okay, I get why he says Churchill, right? Because Doug Williams is British. Yeah. What does homicide have to do with Malcolm X? I'm like, this feels like a problematic comparison. I, I, I don't. I'm not really sure what he's going for there, but um, that notwithstanding. Um, Doug does one of those dealies where he, like, ties up all of Homicide's limbs in a ball to frustrate him, which I, I always enjoy. enjoy. More wrestlers should tie their opponents up in a ball, I feel like. That would be um, – like, there should be a show where everyone does that. Um, <laughs> Keith, book it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm running this down
1: right now. Yes. So I can't tell, I, I'm sitting there trying to figure out why Homicide was called Malcolm X and I didn't notice that. So, yeah. know, that was a big thing that I noticed on commentary. And then also Punk mentioning about the crowd being appreciative of Doug Williams' And uh, saying something about creepy British styles, which you know, yeah. in this timeline, the fat phrase "wrestler and creepy British styles" has a completely new meaning. <laughs>
0: punk new hashtag punk new. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my god! Don't do not get that started. Um, um, but yeah. Um, so, but yeah. Now, now Doug is going to work on Homicide's neck. Homicide goes to work on uh, on Doug Williams's back. So they're they're going around there. So there's this cool. Sp- uh, spot where doug goes for the chaos theory homicide lands on his feet drop kicks ju- drop kicks doug out of the ring and hits the tope cone helo and the crowd just goes wild for that um then they fight on the outside and they throw each other into guardrails because you know what is an roh show without lots of that um and um at one point homicide just uh takes a chair and throw it at du- throws it at doug williams face because in, in homicide matches, chairs are legal. We've established this from our viewing, right? There's never been a time when homicide has not been allowed to use a chair in a match for no reason. Um, and again, and I'm still actually thinking about this. Um, they're really, still to this point, are not really disqualifications in ROH, right? No. It's, which is, um, you know, they, they, they never advertise that fact about ROH, that they don't have disqualifications. But practically speaking, they really don't um i feel like i'm trying to think of like matches where a disqualification happened and was it um jody fleisch against red did that did that match was that like the only match that had a disqualification finish i'm sure there are others if i think hard about it
0: but my memory is terrible but probably and i guess we'll be seeing more disqualifications with the nigel McGuinness pure title reign won't we because won't that start to come into play more
2: uh, I don't even know, honestly, because I I, I, I I feel like I feel like with disqualifications, titles changes, titles change hands on disqualifications when the pure title matches. But maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't. It's hard for me to remember. Anyway, I guess we'll see. Um, but um, but yeah, so they um, Doug gets a little momentum. Homicide cuts him off with an eye poke, taking us back to the most popular ROH move of 2004, <laughs> and he does some back rakes, which are even cooler. Um, and one of my favorite parts of the match actually is when the ref admonishes homicide while he's doing this. So homicide holds up his hand, like threatening the, to to rake the referees back, which I think would probably be the best dis- disqualification of all time. Like a wrestler gets disqualified for raking the referees back. <laughs> Keith writing this down, um,
1: but right. well, I, I would be like sort of a massaging the the which is even worse in this day and age. Guys.
2: That's right. That's right. Um, so homicide at one point he winds up for the lariat um and usually when he winds up and telegraphs it he doesn't hit it and that is what happens this time as well williams blocks it um homicide comes back quickly um he goes for he goes up top doug catches him and hits a gut wrench off the ropes for a two count there's a few more near falls uh, blocks the ace crusher doug hits his own ace crusher and hits a bomb scare and that's a really good near fall like he really hit that that knee drop right there um um, homicide cuts off doug williams on the top with an eye rake hits the top rope ace crusher and and hits the lariat and doug kicks out and that's one of the rare near falls that even watching back got me like i was like oh that's got to be the finish where he uh where the, the ace crusher followed by the lariat and the crowd went nuts and they're all on their feet like they really got the crowd really into this match by the end um homicide went for a victory roll and uh, Williams uh, threw him off, hit the chaos theory, but he can't hold the bridge because of his back and his neck and Homicide rolls out of the and Homicide rolls out of the ring and they chant, Fly Doug Fly, and Doug Williams does do a top rope cross body to the floor. Um, Not the most graceful dive, but you know Doug Williams doing that at all is cool
0: Yeah, he's a big dude who's not yeah. known for a ton of that other than the, uh, the bomb scare
2: Yeah, um Doug Williams hits another suplex, I think it was a tiger suplex this time. Again, can't hold the bridge, and that allows Homicide to hit an exploder. Um, he went for the cop killer, but uh, Williams reversed to the chaos theory. Homicide reversed and got a quick pinning combination and cradle for the flash pin. Um, I'm never a huge fan of flash pin finishes. They, um, I don't know, they usually just feel anticlimactic to me, especially when a match is really dramatic down the stretch. And I feel like this one was. I thought it could have used a more dramatic finish, um, but storytelling was pretty tight. They definitely, the selling played into the match a lot more than it did in the first two. A lot more than it did in the first match, I should say. In the second match, it did. Um, and I don't know. I thought it was really good. I, I I just don't love these kinds of finishes. That's the only thing that really took it down for me.
0: I agree that this is uh, the best match on the show so far, but I didn't think it was that much better than the first two, which was a little disappointing. It was a good match, better than the first two, but with these two, obviously my expectations are super high. I
2: I felt like even for a third, even for a third match, you would say you would expect like a real classic match between these two. Well,
0: if you tell me Homicide and Doug Williams are going for 19 minutes, like I almost don't. I, I would expect a lot, even in third match on the on the show, kind of, but. I feel like both these guys worked super hard. There was um, it's just that other than they're kind of naturally working on a little bit on body parts. Again, I I think that one of the stories of the first half of this show is that none of the matches in the first half really had any issue to them, you know. And it, you know, it kind of felt like it was just even the, between the stories going into the matches, even how they worked them was kind of just good wrestling for good wrestling's sake, which I like sometimes. But like in Ring of Honor, usually a lot of the matches have a bit more going into it, juice going into it, and maybe a bit more character and emotion. But this, I I thought both guys worked really hard. Like like I said, I I did think that um, there were a few moments where they didn't quite work great. Like just tiny bits of awkwardness. Like uh, uh, there's a moment where Homicide does an overhead belly to belly. It looks like he just barely gets the guy over. Um, You know, when Williams does that ace crusher, it's not a very good. It's one of those things where a wrestler does uh another wrestler's move just because it's appropriate for the match but you can tell they don't usually do that move um there was a moment where like uh one wrestler i think like i think homicide like leaps frogs over the other and you can tell he like just barely gets over just little things that aren't like outright bodges but you can tell you know just a few months where things weren't quite clicking but overall they worked pretty well together and um a couple other things I noticed in this match. I noticed there's a big duct-taped X over one of the turnbuckle pads. Yes. And I have to wonder – I didn't notice that in the first two matches. So I have to wonder, is did this – did the ring crew like put this on the turnbuckle to like connotate like this is where the ring got broke. This is the corner. Like be careful because uh, I did not notice that in the first couple of matches. So I wouldn't be surprised. Probably is what they did. Yeah. They, they couldn't maybe completely fix it and they just had to say, well – we'll we'll put a giant x on this turnbuckle to let you know like be careful well, that's how we know it's injured <laughs> so uh when uh peter cass uh, you know after uh, he got injured and had his career ended in that involve mm-hmm. show where the ring broke they just permanently put an x on the turnbuckle there for the rest of evolve just be careful folks but uh, yeah, I, I like this match. I'm probably being a little hard, just because again, it's one of those matches where my expectations for these two guys are are sky high. And I also think Matt, this is the last time we see Doug Williams of Ring of Honor for quite a while. I believe, like, quite a while. I think so. Uh, we'll miss our our big meat Br- British beef boy for a while. But uh,
2: yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed it. I don't know. I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a fun match as well.
1: I, mean, I thought it was uh, there was a lot of fun things on there. One of the things I enjoy sometimes is taking something little small that's going on during the match and actually focusing on it. And this case, it was the bandana of homicide. I was waiting to see how long it would take before that bandana would actually get off of his head. Uh, I, I call that the X Pac bandana rule. And uh, <laughs> it was probably probably a good fifteen minutes into the match where it finally got off. And and when it comes off, like I. I think I could actually sort of see myself standing up and going yay, but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah the, the 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 table the chair the chair thing you know throwing the chair I, apparently that's not a disqualification I did enjoy how homicide was so upset that he flipped the table over but he did such a wonderful job of flipping the table over like sort of like playing a big game of flip cup where literally the table just went nicely over and just landed on its top so. And more importantly, I think this is a third match in a row where we saw multiple cross bodies. So this is a big this is a time in independent pro wrestling where cross bodies were at its peak. And of course, homicide wins due to wrestling. So, yeah, it was a it was a fun I thought it was a fun little match.
0: So, um, after the match, we get clips of Jay J- J- Lethal from Back to Basics as a Lenny Leonard voiceover tells us that Lethal has experienced numbness and lack of mobility from a neck injury caused by the Rottweilers. And it's unknown when or even if he'll ever return, but Lethal has insisted he will return and soon to Ring of Honor, and he has sworn revenge on the Rottweilers. So, say, basically, very similar to what they did the show before, just a little clip, even though, you know, re- this showed you that even though he had just lost the pure title, you know, Ring of Honor was still into pushing Jay Lethal, so he couldn't work on, they didn't have, book him for this uh, double shot, but they still want to kind of keep you and uh, keep him in your mind. It, it, I always love, by the way, on the, on the previous match, I always love, on the commentary on the previous match, they talk about, you know, oh, you know, uh, the Rottweilers, Julius Smokes and the Rottweilers have uh, been banned for this weekend of shows. And that's always one of my favorite Ring of Honor things, where in certain wrestlers that weren't booked for the Midwest tour because they could only get so many – pay for so many guys to travel, they would always just – they would often find the excuse to say, oh, they've been suspended for this weekend you because know, of the nefariousness that they, of they've recently caused. And Attention to detail. Really- that's what we like about ROH, right? Yeah. They, they would go the extra mile to try and explain it away. Um, but but Jay Lethal does uh, he makes
2: his return I believe at um, the future is now which is the next New York City show and my first ever ROH show which is two shows away from this one but um, I don't I know um, Keith that you you had something you wanted to mention involving Jay Lethal
1: yes yes so uh, you know. I, I like to hammer these guys online asking, when can I show up on your podcast again? Cause I don't have a podcast firm. <laughs> like Dr. Keith presents is dead. I'm not presenting anything. So maybe Dr. Keith presents through the years, but anyway, I'll take so it. I said, you know, I, I was at the uh, is now. Like, and I have some good stories behind the Futurist Now. Can I come on your show? you guys are like, no, sorry, we got someone else. Your ratings last time were way down. I mean, <laughs> you might as well just invite my, my fucking Bialik on to talk about
2: her fucking cat show. She actually so anyway, she actually yeah. is going to be on the Futurist Now episode, just FYI. <laughs> it's on that God damn it. So, anyway, uh, I went – that was
1: the weekend of the ECW One Nightstand. So, that weekend, I worked – Saturday night, I worked uh, – at a bar for 13 hours. Uh, at four o'clock in the morning, I took a shower at the boss's house and took a cab to O'Hare. Took a fine, fine flying aer- airplane to New York. Uh, I, I believe I flew into New York, and then I took a train from Newark to New York, uh, to you know New York City because we we're going to the Future Is Now show. So anyway, as I was in the train, I get on the train, you know, on my backpack, and I'm tired and stuff like that. I look, I look around, and who is standing right next to me? And I'm, I'm in this little train area. Right next to me is Jay Lethal, <laughs> Mrs. Lethal, uh, I'm Jay Lethal's mom, and, like, a few family members. And I'm wearing, like, literally I'm wearing a ring of honor t-shirts and, like, everything else. And I'm like, uh, so you're, you're running in today, aren't you? It's like, yeah. <laughs> so it's a fantastic fantastic way to start a wonderful weekend of professional wrestling greatness. So like it was something where when he does show up, spoiler alert at the future is now, it was, it was quite nice. It was sort of like, Oh boy, look, who Jay Liesel's here. I, I wonder how he got to the show. So I don't know necessarily if ring of honor paid him the trans from the, from the subway from uh, uh, New Jersey to New York.
2: I, I like to think of that in kayfabe terms. Like you caught that he was planning on legit running into attack, the Rottweilers and he was like, "Yeah, don't tell the Rottweilers I'm going to attack them."
0: Like, please don't tell. Please don't tell
1: homicide.
0: <laughs> don't don't tell my mom. I told her we were just going out for a nice dinner tonight, and I'm just going to kind of sneak away later. But uh, yeah. we're going to go to the Olive Garden,
1: mom. But before <laughs> that, I have to stop at the New Yorker
0: Hotel.
2: It was actually at there. the Supper Club, but yes. Um, the uh- oh yeah. Yeah, the um no, but that's funny because like it works on both levels. It works if like he got caught, you know, like do that. He's gonna come and do an angle, or it works on the level of he's actually gonna run in like in real life and uh, as a, a unplanned and, and attack a guy. So either way, his his embarrassment works. So that's a perfect story. Thank you.
0: No worries. So- And that brings us to Generation Next of Jack Evans and Roderick Strong defeating Alex Shelley and Delirious in 16 minutes, 33 seconds, when Strong made Delirious submit to the Stronghold. So... Uh, Jack Evans and Roderick Strong just do it again um, this was a match when I when I sat down to watch this match I, f- I forget why but I wasn't in a great mood and sometimes like I, I try and pick like being in a good mood when I watch wrestling for review doing this podcast because not that we're important or anything but like I know some people in wrestling listen to the show and just no, no no, wonder you were hard on that Doug Williams homicide match <laughs> <laughs> no that, that was actually a different session I, I knew to stop myself I had, I had to really be Fair the matches, but I don't ever want to come in feeling shitty and then just go, oh, I didn't pay attention to that match because I was grumpy or whatever. But well, I started watching this match, I like, go, oh, this match is all right. And then I kept going, I went, oh, this match is pretty good. I want, and by the end, I was in a good mood. I was like, man, this, you know what? This is an outright great match. Like, this is my favorite match of the show so far. I actually might put this, this is, might be crazy, slightly above their tag against BJ and Jacobs at, uh, Manhattan, ma'am. I would go at least four stars on this. I think four stars is probably a good rating for this. I think this is an outright great match. And now, going in, I'll just say, Look, there are flaws. Just like the other mention this, on this show, there isn't really much of a story other than, I guess, you could say, oh, Shelley really bending Jack Evans back like Gumby's because he hates him. Um, you know, Jack Evans does a little bit of healing where he flips. He teases him moon's assisted moonsault spot, but he doesn't do it. He lands on his feet because Chicago doesn't deserve it. Um, stuff like that. You know, he do was yours. right, by the way. <laughs> deserve it. Delirious acts crazy as usual, but really this match is just a lot of fun. It's like the Delirious comedy, like I said before, where it was still fresh and hit well, and just Jack Evans being amazing, and really everyone being really good. Just a really fun match where there's comedy, but it builds to some really big near falls at the end, and just every moment in this match is fun, and it's just four... Really, Like, obviously, Delirious and uh, Jack Evans are such strong personalities, personality-wise, to kind of threaten to overtake the, uh, the whole match. But everyone gets their moments in here, and everyone is just really fun. I would just say this is another one of those matches that's pure fun, which I say a lot with Jack Evans this year. And right now, Matt, I don't know if I've said this re- on recent shows, but, like, if we had to do... Like the Through the Years 2005 awards right now, if we didn't watch the rest of the year, Jack Evans would be somewhere in my top three. and It might not even be number three for Wrestler of the Year because he's just been so – he's knocked out of the park in what he's been asked to do basically every match he's been in this year.
2: Yeah, The biggest development I find of Through the Years is Trevor Dane becoming the number one member of the Jack Evans fan club.
0: I mean, he's been so just great in 2005, and this match—this is a match again where it's all about—it's just a collection of great moments. Like again, Alex Shelley really just stretching him worse than you know. Everyone remembers Brian Danielson stretching Jack Evans. Alex Shelley stretches him worse, and um, there's Roderick Strong nearly kills Delirious on a back suplex where you can see Delirious barely rotates onto a shoulder in time. And if he hadn't by, it's one of those moments in wrestling where like the difference of like an inch or two is the difference between you breaking your neck and being completely unscathed. There's some neat double teams. There's a great Shelly one man, baby face, hot tag where he fights off Jack and Ronnie single-handedly. Um, and, and and I feel like even the great few, final few minutes of Near Falls, it's like the first time in Ring of Honor where Delirious gets to show like he could hang in the right setting in like a Ring of Honor style, like hot stretch finish of a match where before this, like he was starting to get over, but just doing the comedy. I feel like this is the first match where he's kind of been called on to like just hold up your end in the wrestling side too. And he completely does – Um. Just so much fun in this match. The commentary, too, was probably the closest we've heard of Punk and um, uh, Prezak getting to the, their IWA mid-cell form, where they are so loose and just goofing on stuff. At one point, Punk goes, you know, at one point, Shelly spits on Strong, Strong spits back, and Punk goes, you know, this is how diseases start. People spit at each other, someone sleeps with a chimpanzee, next thing you know, AIDS. And, you know, it's interesting kind of line you know. Interesting lying
2: to hear during a
1: pandemic. <laughs> Yes, that was my my first thought. I was like, oh my god, they they, they, they totally knew that this was coming. Except for the chimpanzee part.
0: (laughs) Um
2: Yes, this time this time somebody slept with a bat.
0: So much goofy <laughs> stuff like um delirious antics early on gets like a gen a rare like genuine laugh from Punk on commentary. Delirious does like the very dated at this point banana phone thing, and like Prazeck actually has to like explain to Punk what banana phone is. But he doesn't.
2: But I know he didn't really explain. It. It's like does Prazeck know oh. who Rafi is? Because he just went. He just said ring 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 banana phone, and that was his whole explanation. But it's like no, you got to tell the whole story. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: um. And even, again, we're talking about – this This is the pop episode of the podcast full of dated references. Punk gets to join in on the party because while well, he's not talking about terms of Endearment or um, the Leave it to Beaver, he does at one point when uh, Jack Evans doesn't throw a great-looking kick, he goes, did he learn that from Billy Blanks doing Taibo? Which I thought, boy, that is – I don't know if that's even – I was going to say that's so 2005. I don't know if that's even so 2005. That might have f- already been a, an yeah, old reference. I feel
2: like Tybo is like 98,
0: 99, 2000. Yeah, a catbo yeah um but yeah just um it's hard to really like this match i would some matches are more than some of the part some of their parts this match is just the parts it's just fun guys doing fun stuff and it's exactly that good and i and i really dug it a lot um
2: just the parts i like that as like a a calling card
0: just yeah, like I went, like oh, this match is great because of a story, or this match, you know, it, it all builds, or there's just some unique chemistry. It's not; it's just four guys that are all good at doing like fun things, doing those fun things. It, it doesn't really become anything more than that, and it, it doesn't need to. So, uh, uh, Matt, what did you think about? Uh, I mean, I'm probably going to be the high bo- vote on this match, but what did you think about it?
2: Yeah, I mean, the match was definitely like good like it was a lot of fun like a really a really super entertaining match great final few minutes um and it was a really fun mix of comedy early and like exciting tag team spots down the stretch and i definitely agree with you that this is delirious's first chance to really do one of these types of matches in roh and he does a great job i you know i definitely probably definitely probably definitely um i'm not as high on it as you in that i still think that the uh Jacobs Whitmer match against Aries, I mean, against Evans and Strong was a better match overall. And I don't think this was head and shoulders above, like, let's say the Williams versus Homicide match. I thought both were really good. Um, But I have nothing bad to say about it. It was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed how much personality uh, everybody got to show i mean roderick was still kind of coming into his own with his personality i mean in some ways i guess he still kind of is um coming into his own with personality um you know but he was you know really you know coming on uh pun intended strong in terms of his performances and i think this was one of his best um and i think you know evans obviously can really dominate a match in terms of personality and that helps a lot uh at one point early in the match when the crowd is chanting "Die, jack die he literally goes yo suck my balls <laughs> which is you know not something you typically hear a wrestler scream to uh, a crowd but this time you heard it loud and clear and um the uh yeah um but yeah no I, I i mean i don't really have too much to add as far as like the moves and stuff that you didn't say um uh at one point um When Strong does this back suplex on Delirious and drops him on his head and neck, like, he drops him so high that, like, it didn't even look intentional. Like, I don't know if it was a botch or – but it was amazing that Delirious was even still alive. Like, I had to rewind it. It was such a – it was such an incredible angle that, like, it was just like, wow. I I mean, luckily, Delirious seems to be totally fine um, afterward, but – if this, wasn't, if this wasn't 16 years ago, I would have been really scared. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, just a lot of, you know, really fun sequences and a super entertaining match.
0: Uh, Keith, what do you think about this? Oh, I, I love
2: this. I mean, I
1: think you've really said it best. Like, these four guys were so much fun. Like, a big portion of what was really great about 2005 in Ring of Honor was the fact that it was these young guys, you know— the Gen was established the year before, and now they're definitely coming up and facing each other. And this was just really fun stuff. Uh, you know, it would have been nice if Shelly was not loopy at one point and started asking cameramen and Mary Kate if they could be his partners, not realizing <laughs> that he's in the course of the match. But no, I thought this was a really good. I think it was a good showing for Delirious. It's understandable why he took the pinball. I thought the finish was awesome. Like, I really thought the, the finish looked incredibly brutal. And we didn't know, you know, like I knew Delirious before and afterwards. And I want to say this match changed him forever. But no, it was really, it was really, really, really enjoyable match. Uh, Just so much. I mean, like the team of of Evans and Strong was so, so great. And like, this is a part right now where they were getting really, really good. And we would see them in other tag team matches. They just like, they would just be so, such a wonderful dynamic for those two. And, and and Jack Jack at this time is just such a you know, he basically is like a, a kid's Super Bowl. Like at one point, uh Shelley, I believe, has strong in the border city stretch. And Jack goes to break it up, not by doing up some flip but just basically sort of just plummeting his body on Alex Shelley, not doing any sort of flips. That's more just like a like how a kid would plummet into uh, a waterbed and have it break and then there'd be flooding all over the house. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was really, really enjoyable. Uh I, you know, I, I really, really like this. And, you know, more importantly, you know, Shelley didn't take the pinfall, So now he can find another tag team partner next time.
0: I I think the biggest takeaway I had from this match is that Jack Evans could definitely uh, suck his own dick, which was disturbing. But uh, when you see him getting bent as far back as he gets bent, like, I just had that revelation, and I'm not proud to have thought of that. I I, I just – I saw it, and I was just like, he is definitely that limber when you watch some of the stretches Alex Shelley put him through. And I'm like, I can't – I don't like that I'm thinking of this, but I like – I – yeah, my mi- my mind went. There. <laughs> I I don't like that you're thinking of it either,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> No,
2: um, no, it's okay. It's, hey. fi- it's fine. I mean, yeah. every,
1: everyone thinks about that about Jack Yeah, but, but yes. So, <laughs> it,
2: is. it works perfect. I do like that you're thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think everyone listening to this fucking podcast right now is thinking about it. Though. There was a, a moment we had to stop the podcast for a second, and Matt got very blue in a funny moment that will not make the podcast, and so I now just feel like I have to top it. I, the gauntlet has been thrown down, and you won't hear the gauntlet that Matt threw down. You haven't top, you
2: haven't topped it yet.
0: <laughs> so, um, after the match, uh, Roddy won't release the stronghold, the stronghold on Delirious, so Shelly gets back in the ring and he takes him and Jack Evans out with chair shots. So he gets some measure of revenge. I think like the commentary tries to make it like, almost like Shelly won, like Shelly's got their number again, but I mean, his team lost the match, but he does get to get some revenge after the match. Um, well, that brings us next up to Nigel McGinnis defeating Colt Cabana via pinball in thirteen minutes thirty two seconds with a small package after he kicks Colt Cabana quite intentionally in the balls. No denying it this time, uh, Keith. This is we've we've on through. We've seen a lot of uh Nigel Colt matches. I, I think we've enjoyed them all, but this one special because not just he got extra ball kicks in this match, but this is I guess the official Nigel McGinnis heel turn is
1: really here. Yes. Uh, when, a, when a man comes to the ring carrying a delicious iron, uh, you know, you could tell it's it's clobbering time. Uh, yeah, it was an enjoyable match. I thought these guys always worked pretty well with each other, and, like, it definitely was setting up Nigel becoming a, sort of a bad guy, that bad British guy, although he would always do the up years British fingers like Vivian from The Young Ones anyway. But, uh, yeah, it was a fun little match, lots of back and forth, and then, like, it was definitely sort of the you know, just the position of, wait a second. Oh, wait. Oh no, we got hit low. Oh, we're going to actually sit there and take a second. And then that's when the crowd was chanting, you know, you heard someone literally sit there and say, try and walk it off. Uh, You know, when, when you get hit low, especially in the, especially in the fake make believe world of professional wrestling, sometimes fans comments like that hurt. So fans, please think about it. What you have to say, before you yell it in front of the crowd. And by the way, the person that yelled that definitely was not me. Uh, But no, (laughs) definitely, I I, I like the fact that, you know, because Colt, you know, fancied himself a professional wrestler. Nigel fancied himself uh, an an Englishman. And I felt together that they had some really good stuff. And then it sort of went the other way, especially after McGinnis hit that hard headbutt that basically busted Cabana open. And uh, Prazak had a fantastic line. So much for British wrestling uh, after, you know, Nigel basically hit him low for the pin. Uh, I thought it was good, and I thought it advanced the story. And it's something where you want to see these guys actually have a fight, not over who's the better wrestler, but also because one of them's a limey pick. (laughs) Uh,
0: Matt, I thought this match was, like, we've seen them wrestle a few times where it's been pretty similar, where it's mostly just almost no, like, kind of strikes or moves it's just kind of back and forth chain wrestling and some comedy i felt this match was a bit different do do you agree and what did you think about it
2: yeah i mean i think i'm gonna be the high vote on this match i thought it was i just loved what they did here like i just loved the storytelling of it um they very intentionally did something different and i thought that the development of you know the way the match went was just very creative You know, the, the other, the first couple matches had a lot of comedy, um, early on. You know, Nigel kind of, I mean, um, you know, um, Cabana kind of playing with Nigel and Nigel would, you know, be like, all right, smart aleck, you know, and then he would, you know, he'd do a little bit of comedy too and he'd get annoyed and the match would go the way it went. This time it starts out actually pretty serious. Um, just FYI, Gabe is on commentary now. Punk has left the booth to prepare for his main event, but, um, you know, so Cabana's a little bit silly early, like he says, Hi Nigel, when he escapes a front face lock, but they, de- they definitely do not lean into the comedy very much at all. They both seem, you know, more they they're doing more basic American style, like with like arm bars and headlocks, not as many of the the wackier looking European stuff, although there is a little bit of that. Um but um you know, and Colt does some of his crawl outs, but he doesn't kind of preen as much after each one. Um um it's funny because uh the 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 gimmick though the week before was that that nigel hit a low blow and like was it intentional was it an accident and gabe is like oh it was definitely an accident i'm sure about it which again <laughs> gabe doing that thing where he uh, pretty much telegraphs the finish um but as the match goes on cabana does do more of these crawl outs and there is a comedy spot in the middle where nigel has colton like a leg hold and cabana asks the ref um if a um if a spot on the canvas is hard and when the ref says yes um, he slams nigel's head into the spot so it's funny it's like as the match goes on actually cole does a little bit more comedy and nigel actually when he gets frustrated this time he he really shows the frustration and starts working more aggressively he does his wrist lock takedown um when he works over the arm and the wrist you know, probably setting up for that arm submission. Um, but he does, a, and he does like a lot of like really aggressive wrist lock takeovers. Like as he gets more frustrated, his moves get more intense and um, hard hitting. And, uh, you know, he does, he does an arm clutch sleeper into a short arm clothesline, like Rainmaker style, um, kind of previewing his lariat heavy offense that he was, that was to come. You know, he does a a hammerlock head scissors sort of, can't quite get it. But, um, you know, he takes, he takes Colt down onto the mat in a hammerlock and he puts his feet on the ropes, which absolutely outrages Gabe and, uh, the crowd booze. Um, does another, uh, short arm clothesline, but Cabana ducks, so Nigel hits the rebound lariat for two. So he's, he's, you could, he's buffing up here. He's hitting more lariats. He's really turning into the Nigel that we remember from his, uh, main event era. Um, at this point where um, they're running the ropes and Nigel body blocks Cabana and Cabana drops down and at this time he accidentally low blows Nigel and Cabana actually backs off and looks really concerned. Like he keeps going to Nigel in the ropes and Nigel keeps pushing him away and Cabana is keeping his, his distance. He's not bothering Nigel. He's being a sportsman. He's apologizing. But then Nigel takes his hand and headbutts him and that's the, the spot that uh, Keith was talking about. He busted him wide open. Um, so that 's when Nigel really i think kind of solidifies his heel turn he's Cabana is bleeding not a ton of color, but you know it 's there um, and then they start slapping and striking each other in the face, and everyone 's mad and it's and they 're getting aggressive. Nigel grabs this really aggressive caba- uh cravat Cabana hits his angriest butt butt ever <laughs> and then <laughs> and then a big lariat um he does a missile drop kick so they 're definitely going for bigger moves here. And they continue to push and shove. And then Nigel just goes off on Cabana. He's just like flailing at him. And then Nigel kicks him very low, deliberately, gets a cradle, gets the win. I just really like how this developed. Like it's not like it was the best action match in ROH history, certainly wasn't. But everything they did was good and the storytelling really makes it stand out for me. I, I, I don't think there have been too many ROH like rivalries where the storytelling has developed the way it did in this, and I think it was really effective here. And I was I was pretty impressed with how they uh, ended up um,
0: completing this heel turn. Uh, I'm right there with you, Matt. Um, I, I you know this is a match probably people will appreciate more if they've been following the other matches because I think the definitely. fun of this match is is how it plays off the other ones where the other matches you know they've all been pretty similar and much. You know, less impactful moves and also more, even though there is still comedy in this match, like you said, more lighthearted in general. And in this match, even just that change late in the match where Colt finally kind of loses it, which I don't know if we've ever really seen up to this point in Ring of Honor Colt get that pissed where, you know, he he's just pissed off at this guy's really revealed himself to be like a cheater and gone this low. And, you know, I, I, I liked, I, I liked all of it. I liked how it started with the, uh, with the feet on the ropes and that headbutt spot where I guess you could, like you said, that really cements that, you know, Nigel's turning heel where, you know, th- they do that whole spot to show you like to really contrast, like, look, this is what it looks like when a babyface accidentally kicks someone in the nuts. He actually gives the guy plenty of time and is really regretful and leaves himself open And then Nigel taking advantage of that with a headbutt, and boy, that headbutt was hard. Like, I think one thing we've learned revisiting early nigels he was always very willing to throw his head hard into other hard objects because, man, that looked pretty solid. Um, God bless him. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um there there's um also if you want to see a real like I don't ever like this isn't like oh look at this they screwed up this isn't cuz it's really hard to do this kind of stuff but you ever want to see like a really obvious instance of a wrestler handing the blade to the ref like it was really obvious awesome. like I wasn't even looking for I just saw like Colt you know was down after that headbutt and you could see the ref come right near him and like Colt hand him the blade and clearly the ref putting it in oh, his pocket
1: that, is, that was a a sin <laughs> it was, uh, very refreshing, so yeah. It was tasty, better than that big red shit.
2: <laughs> and uh, by the way, um, speaking of big red, this is a um, interlude. But I-, I tweeted this once. But do you remember the, the big red jingle? Like you know. That big red freshness lasts a right through it. right through it. Yeah, so your freshness goes on and on. While, While you chew it, it say it.
1: goodbye a little longer. Make it last a little, a little longer. longer.
2: So, so the line that you left off on where they go, give your breath long-lasting freshness... I always found that line to just be a little bit too intense. Like, you're singing about gum. Like, this guy, he just gets real – like, give your breath long-lasting freshness. Like, wow. Like, they just got so into giving your breath long-lasting freshness. And I was just like, relax, dude. Like, you're singing about gum. I have a theory
1: on that, though. Yes? Because if you know any sort of, like, Big Red and any of these Wrigley gums – the flavor lasts a good ten minutes tops. Yeah. So like I think I think the person singing it knew deep down in his heart or in down in their heart that they were full of shit mm-hmm. that it actually is not long lasting
0: freshness. Yeah. So. All right. Well, you How sold me. How do you ever want gum to taste? Though I mean, like I feel like I, I want twenty five taste- minutes. <laughs> like, I, I think it should be like a good wrestling match. Twenty five minutes tops.
1: <laughs> Because after thirty minutes, you're just like, "Wow, there must be some really good stinging chemicals in this that will eat away at my teeth." Yeah. You know? like, I'm, I'm a Trident gum guy now. Yeah, like I realize. Welcome to gum talk. Uh, like, but like the Trident piece will last a good 20, 25 minutes with the flavor.
2: So, hey, and good Japanese gum will last like forty-five minutes. <laughs>
0: oh, that, well,
2: it's strong stuff. Yeah, will get six stars.
0: Nobody's yeah, gum is lasting too long these days. It's over the top. I mean, God. But um,
2: well, you know, the gum—the gum has a lot of like early flavor that doesn't play into the um, the final um, flavor of the gum. I don't know what I'm talking. <laughs> <about>. well, especially <laughs> when you get that strong style gum where you do that
1: chew and you're like, it's totally done with flavor, and all of a sudden they'll have that flavor fighting spirit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> The other thing I really liked about this coming <laughs> back away from the gum talk don 't i don I 't don't want to put a harp on uh harsh the gum talk. go back to it if you want i big fan of it. I used to subscribe much like Alvin from Calvin and Hobbes to chewing the magazine for gum lovers but anyway um spot I loved was uh, well, love might be strong but I really enjoy this was still very early on where Nigel was doing the rebound lariat and you can if you listen watch this match Nigel does the rebound lariat and you can actually hear it's not many people but a few people in the crowd like when he's really leaning far back in the ropes like almost do like a little (gasps) of concern Like, like they think like maybe they're not sure that they've seen this before like he might be falling through the ropes and dying and it's like no this is it was like obviously like six months later everyone would just see that and go oh he's doing the rebound lariat that's cool but there was actually i feel like probably a few fans the first time they saw the rebound lariat like is is this going wrong is he gonna fucking fall through the ropes and break his neck and i, I thought that was just It was almost like an adorable reaction just people being concerned where i could i could say from the present oh silly past fans you don't know because chicago cares <laughs> yes, awesome definitely. and um moving on to this semif- was that Lori lightfoot's
2: campaign slogan
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, um, uh, all Yeah. <laughs> so, semi-main event time. Ring of Honor World Title match. Austin Aries defeats Brian Danielson via pinfall in 24 minutes 46 seconds after he hits the 450 Splash. Uh, Matt, this is the – we've seen three of these now in Ring of Iron. We will see more of the pairing of Ares and Danielson. But if we were kind of saying this as a trilogy up to this point between the uh, the final of The Survival of the Fittest and then their famous 73-minute match at Test and the Limit, uh, what do you think about this match and where do you think it kind of ranks in the three?
2: So this was a good match. It was a very good match. But you've said that you know you were disappointed by a few matches on the show. I really haven't been. Like I've really enjoyed pretty much every match that was on the DVD so far. Um, this match was a bit disappointing to me, only because you know these guys have a history. You know these guys have had you know two matches that I've liked a lot. You know the Survival of the Fittest match I thought was just phenomenal, and the and the Testing the Limit match I just was really impressed with what they were going for. This match was a world title match so they were certainly in a major position they got a lot of time they did good stuff but it maybe didn't completely work as well as some of their other matches um you know they do go very slow at the beginning um you know you know that they're not going 70 minutes but they they go slow enough that you're like okay well it could be i think at one point even i believe gabe says this is going to go 60 minutes based on the pace that they're working which is an interesting thing for a commentator to say like, to be like just like you know i think this match is going very slow um but um but you know i mean it was it was always you know everything they did was good um and danielson is pretty dominant during the slow portion and he's very aggressive um one of the most fun early spots was him going for the earthquake butt drop and he even does the stomps like where he like he just jumps like around him in a semicircle and then does the earthquake butt drop for a two count i feel like that move doesn't play as well when the guy is not 400 pounds (laughs) Um, but you know i mean i'm sure it would still hurt i don't want danielson dropping his butt on me um anyway um <laughs> um but that, but daniel does danielson does some of those like the the body slams which in his in his previous matches with aries he would do like repeated body slams and he runs aries back first into the buckle so i was like maybe he's working his back um but then aries turns the table by back suplexing danielson to the outside and hitting the heat seeking missile and gabe actually calls that the turning point of the match and it very clearly is and uh, aries takes over at that point and he's kicking danielson around ringside he goes for an airplane spin but danielson fights it so aries turns it into like a tko style move but instead of dropping him in a uh, like a an ace crusher kind of thing he he drops him with his arm so he starts going after danielson's arm and he does some like arm trap body slams he does the power drive elbow into the arm you know and I, I love all that stuff when they like micro target a whole a, a body part and do you know, fun stuff into it. He keeps trying to go to, for the cattle mutilation, but Danielson keeps rolling out of it um, and, and fighting back. And um, then Danielson goes after Ares' arm. He does arm breakers across his shoulder, butterfly suplex, and Danielson yells, you want to insult me? And slaps him in the face. And I was like, when did Ares insult him? <laughs> but by doing by doing wrestling moves at him? Um, I don't remember the insult. Do, do you remember the insult? Because
0: I didn't no, notice it. I mean... yeah. There was no feud going after this. It was literally just the winner of the Homicide-Danielson match on the last show gets a title shot. There was, like, no feud building this up.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, Danielson goes for an airplane spin, and Prazak, talking about the Homicide airplane spin, says, I don't think we're ever going to see any human being rotate that many times ever again. I feel very safe in making that prediction. And I was just like, any human being, any rotation – very safe. Like I feel like that—that's just a bold. I, mean, I feel like there have been times before and since where a human being has rotated that many times. Like I don't know, astronauts have probably done it. But um,
0: I, I mean, just thought aren't I, we all technically rotating on this big little blue pebble mat? That's true, constantly, constantly, constantly. all life. Yeah, all, <laughs> all the.
2: All the maybe,
1: for- maybe it was something where let's just think about this.
2: Maybe it was something when
1: Brian had Aries and the Cal mediation. He's like there's no way you're going to feed super crazy in his hometown tomorrow. And also possibly they'll add Ricky Marvin and make it a three-way match for no reason whatsoever. Probably because someone wasn't at the show.
2: That could be, um, I I I, I I I still ju- I still just found it funny that that gave praise. I just really went so far in. We're never going to see any human being. Ro- I quoted this rotate ever that many times ever again. I feel very safe in making that prediction. <laughs> I just feel I just find that to be so funny.
0: Um, it's the very safe. Like he's like <laughs> one step away from being like, look, you can quote me on this, like, because uh, uh, look, I'll put money on this. You want to take up some fucking betting lines? Put up the odds. I'll do it.
2: Yeah. But anyway, I mean, I guess I don't have it on record that someone's rotated that many times, but I feel very safe in saying that they have. Um, but um, Danielson doesn't get the airplane spin because Aries goes for a sunset flip for two, and then they do like the little roll-up sequence. And Aries does an O'Connor roll, and Danielson kicks out, sending Aries all the way to the floor. And then in one of my favorite spots of the match, Danielson uh, jumps off the apron with a really hard European uppercut onto aries and i feel like that uppercut spot has been used in like highlight videos and stuff it's just a really really good jumping european uppercut um and danielson he does this spinning back kick to the side of aries head and it looks really stiff so aries i mean danielson is definitely laying it in um uh, aries fights out of the top rope uh superplex he he goes for a four fifty Danielson moves and aries hits a running corner drop kick instead and follows up with another gets a two pound two count and they 're really picking up the pace t- pace here and Danielson escapes a brainbuster and actually hits a regular good old fashioned atomic drop, which is not a move you see too often in in, in r o h um, follows that up with a really nice top rope belly to back suplex um crowd pops big for that one um he goes right into the cattle mutilation and the crowd is definitely buying that it could be a finish um aries almost gets the ropes so danielson turns it into that cattle mutilation pinning combo that he does sometimes and the crowd is just heartbroken by the kick out and they're all on their feet danielson does the airplane spin and the crowd is actually counting the rotations correctly like you know how sometimes when someone does a spinning move and the crowd like counts double like I was following and they really do count one per spin and it it ends up being like 31 spins
0: and Aries did it. Say again, Chicago Uh, knows how to count. They do. Can you say it one more time,
1: please? Just for everyone, (laughs) everyone in my town, I'm going to open up the windows. Chicago
2: Chicago knows (laughs) how to count. Way to go. Um, actually Chicago Ridge, if you go into the city, they're not as good. Um, (laughs) but, um, they, um, but, um, yeah, so so while he's spinning, Ares turns it into a crucifix bomb. And it's it's sort of like, some people i have heard say it was like a botched crucifix bomb, but I feel like it's just like, how good are you going to do it when you're in the middle of a spin? Um, um, so I feel like it made sense for it to be kind of sloppy. Um, and Ares doesn't sell the spin for very long. So He hits a brain buster, hits the 450, gets the win. I thought it got really good near the end. Um, similar to early matches, there was, they did spend a lot of time doing arm work, and it didn't really lead to much of anything. And I did feel the finish was kind of abrupt, so it wasn't as satisfying as I would have liked. Um, I liked the body of the match better than, let's say, the Gibson match from the night before, but I, for whatever reason, I thought the Gibson match felt more epic and dramatic. Um, so I think they kind of cancel each other out. You know, there, there, it was, this was a really, really good match. I just didn't think it, it hit the levels that maybe it could have. I don't know.
1: Keith, what do you think? I think though, like, you're comparing it to two fantastic matches that they had before, especially that testing the limit match, which is very different from this, where Aries is more of the confident champion here. I mean, Danielson's coming off of a steel cage match that didn't have the escape the cage rules attached with it. So uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I didn't, I, you know, I, I think at the time, I think it was cool because I think people were really up for Danielson winning the belt. And Aries made a very good, like, he wasn't the most crazy, heelish champion, but he was en- heelish enough where you wanted to see someone like Joe take him out, someone like Brian, you know, Brian Danielson. Like, it definitely seemed like, you know, thought of the guard changing back to the old regime, sort of speak, and Daniel, uh, Brian, or sorry, Brian Danielson winning that title was a big part of it. But this was a dandy match, and the crowd was on their feet during that calculation, thinking that it was going to be the end. And the last few minutes, the crowd... Was completely up for it, and uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a very very good match. But I mean, it's sort of like comparing. You know, I, I'm sure if I had a cheeseburger at a great restaurant, that it would be pretty good. But like, you know, comparing like they've had, I, they I, they serve steak here, or they serve meat. I don't know why I'm doing a really bad Vince McMahon impersonation here, but uh, you know, like it's something like that where you know that the other options that they've had, and they put on better matches. But I thought that this was a very, very solid match and uh it definitely progressed the Brian Danielson storyline. And it was just interesting to see him with that, you know, like comparing this to like when he main event in WrestleMania, not a few weeks ago, but the first time, where you see like both his beard and his personality shine through where they were main event worthy. And here right now, I guess he didn't deserve the title because of his ninja beard. <laughs>
0: um Matt, I, uh, I'm more on the Keith end. I, I, I I thought this was a great match. I, so I think I liked it, but not like, again, probably like four, four and a quarter. I I liked it probably a little bit more than you, but at the same time, I would say this is probably the, the least of their three matches that we've seen so far. I would say, because I think the the first two matches that each had something special going for it, you know, the first match, the, uh, The survival of the fittest end, where it's basically like a mini-match that's part of that multi-man match, like, that really felt like Austin Aries' breakout performance, and so there was this excitement of him being kind of like the underdog, and you starting to realize in the middle of the match, like, wow, like, this we're seeing, like, someone becoming a star here, and then the testing the limit match, obviously... It's a hard match to completely recommend to people because it's oh, it's well over an hour, but that also makes it memorable in in a bunch of ways. There's all sorts of stuff that happens within that and having the three falls to play with and this match is just it's a straight up wrestling match they're 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 now wrestling kind of as even I, I feel like they're like they're on the same level as opposed to maybe the first match and some of the second and And so there's not really like a big hook to this match in the way that the first two have these hooks. It's just a good wrestling match. Or I would say still a great match, but it's just – it's not as memorable. It's not as special. Although there is still, like, I will not forget probably that Brian Danielson did the fucking earthquake splash. Like you said, like, I love Brian Danielson is a guy who he will work in stuff like airplane spin or an earthquake splash, but he won't like, like, there's like a little wink to how ridiculous it is, but it's all in the context of serious matches. Like he's never a guy where he does that stuff. It's not like, well, I'm doing a bunch of comedy now. It's like, no, I'm so good. I'm just going to throw this in and you're going to accept it and enjoy it. And I, I love that about Danielson. Um, that, that, that I want to f- really call out that spinning back kick he does to Ares head. Like I watched that slow mo after er, he really got Ares hard in the fucking head. Like he's lucky he didn't hurt him. Maybe he did. Who knows? I mean, it is crazy to do a, a move that forceful, Catches him right in the in the face. It, just unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, it, it, this is just... I And I agree with you, Matt. Like, it, it, they... Uh, you know, they, they... Much like that earlier match on the show, they kind of do a bunch of limb work and kind of forget about it. And yeah, I do think to the... Uh, I agree with you that, like, the, the spot right near the end where Danielson's doing the airplane spin and then Ares turns it into the crucifix bomb, it does not look great. It, but I agree with you in the sense of... How could you do that and have it look great and be safe? Where a guy's spinning you around and then you basically drop him on his head. Like, I don't know how you do that safe. It doesn't look great. I kind of wish it would look. It looked great because if it did, I feel like if you just did Crucifix Bomb right into the 450, that would have been such a great ending. Instead, there's a couple spots comp kind of in between to get to that point. But the least of the three matches, but like what Key said, like, The least of their three matches is still great, uh, in my opinion. I I, I think it's still great. Um, So after the match, Ares offers a handshake. Danielson blows him off. He just walks to the back. Ares celebrates until Samoa Joe's music hits. And out he comes to the ring, pure title in his hand. Joe gets on the mic and he says he's here for a few reasons. The first is to tell all the fans that Aries has done a hell of a job living up to the expectations of being Ring of Honor champ, but all he's done is live up to expectations that Joe himself has set already. Uh, Joe says now that he's the pure champ, it'll be the top belt in Ring of Honor. Aries grabs the mic from him and he says he doesn't know who Joe thinks he used to be, but what Joe used to be is what Ares is now, the top wrestler in Ring of Honor. Aries says he has respect for what Joe did with the belt, because if anyone else did what Joe is doing right now, trying to steal a spotlight, he'd slap the taste right out of their mouth. Aries says because he's an honorable champion, though, and because Joe is big, which gets a little chuckle from the crowd, he'll shake his hand and hold the rope, ropes open for him. Ares offers a handshake. Joe accepts. We get a handshake. But then as Ares holds the ropes open for Joe to leave, he then times it so he can crutch Joe with the ropes, and then he attacks Joe, Joe selling injured ribs, for which is the reason why he wasn't wrestling on the show. He had a legit rib injury from Manhattan Mayhem. Um... He goes for the four. Aries goes for the four fifty. But as he's on the top turnbuckle, Joe recovers. He's up. He slaps Ares in the face, and he then he hits him with the muscle buster. Joe sells his ribs big again from the beating, and he says, and he grabs the mic to say, "You've been warned." Joe then just tosses Aries' world title at him, and he poses as Ares just sells, being completely beat to shit. Uh, Joe's goes to the back, and an army of refs and students then help Ares to the back. As they're doing so, Aries says the belt's still his. No one's going to take it from him. So uh, I'll say, like, there's a bit of controversy about this, I, I and I kind of agree with, I don't think it makes Ares look great. And I, you could say, okay, Joe beat down Ares, but Ares had just wrestled a match. But then you could say, well, Joe was coming into this, injured and he's selling the injury during the beatdown even. I think it's never a good look for a wrestler when um you start a fight and then you, and you do it like unfairly with a cheap shot and then you're the one that ends up getting your ass handed to you. Like like you know, maybe if you're being like this would work if Aries was a like cowardly heel character, but not he's not. He's he's a heel. But he's a very, like, his gimmick's almost the opposite, where he's, like, the fighting champ who's defends against the top opponents, and he's winning clean, and he's not using interference. And so for him to do, like, this cheap shot, and then within seconds he's getting beat down, and Joe, like, lording over him and being, like, you know, basically telling him he got served, like, I felt that made Ares look a bit like a bitch. I know it's setting up to a future match, but but uh, by the way that's a match Aries will lose so even there you know it it's kind of reversing some of the good stuff that's happened for Aries with beating Joe a couple times but um what do you guys think about like is did you have the same impression or a different impression Uh Matt what did you have any thoughts um
2: well so so i sort of felt like it didn't really lead to much of anything like i thought it was entertaining as a as like a as a segment but you know even though they do have a match um it sort of feels like it's out of context from this because it's after Ares turns face, kind of. Um, cause Ares does pretty much turn face right after he loses the belt. I mean, it's, ne- there's never a real, like, strong face turn moment, but he pretty much does. And so that's another reason why I think it's a little bit weird. Like, um, Ares, um, Ares turns, like, he, he, he's kind of acts like, um, he kind of acts like a Stooge heel here, and then he's basically a baby face in like moments later. So that's the other thing. So I don't know. I didn't think it was super productive, but I guess they just wanted to get Joe on the show. That's sort of how I felt.
0: Joe, for those who did not listen to our last episode, again, Joe was, um, was able to work the previous show, the four way, which he did very little in, but he still could work it. And from the injury where um, he got hurt, I believe in the Manhattan Mayhem main event, where Loki did the devil stomp to him, it legit hurt his ribs. But Joe, for whatever reason, on this night, he couldn't even do that. I don't know what his original plan – what the original match was for him or any plan for him on the show. So this was like the only bit you got from Joe, which I have to imagine is another reason why he got to do a beatdown, which was let's give them a little bit of Joe action, the the fans, so they don't feel like they've completely missed out on Joe. But um, the PW Torch wrote about Joe's injury. They wrote – Regarding Samoa Joe's attending this weekend's Midwest swing, even though he was in no condition to perform, Sapolsky tells the torch, simply put, Joe is the man. He is very old school in his mentality where he'll fight through the pain and always strive to give the fans their money's worth. There's no no doubt Joe is a leader in our locker room. Joe signed autographs at the merchandise table before the event in Chicago Ridge, Illinois. So Joe still putting himself out there, but not just not being able to work. And then we go to intermission, and as the cage is being set up, we get our, our, the weird intermissions that you get when these happen, where the intermission comes right before the main event, but Dave Prezak is backstage, joined by James Gibson. Prayzak says, beating one half of the tag, tag team champions tonight could put Gibson in line for tag title shot with a partner. Gibson says he's out for gold. It doesn't matter if it's the world tag or pure title Gibson assumes Spanky would be down to be his partner. So he's officially challenging Whitmer and Jacobs to a tag title match with Spanky, uh, Chad, Collier interrupts, saying he beat Jimmy Jacobs clean tight. So if anyone deserves a tag title shot, it's him and his best friend, Nigel McGinnis. In fact, he says, forget the tag title shot. Just give me the belt right now. Just give us the belt. Chad keeps asking for someone to hand them over. Uh, Dave Prezak does a great little are-you-crazy side-eye in the background during this. Gibson then gets in Chad's face and says the two of them go way back, but do not get in his way.
2: I like that Gibson's like, I'll never speak for another man, and then he proceeds to be like, but Spanky will definitely be my tag-team partner. I would uh, I would say he will definitely want to join me. Like, <laughs> I thought that was funny.
0: Especially when their whole, whole storyline so far has been like they've been kind of squabbling and back and forth. Now he's just like, yeah, he'll, he'll work with me. He's my pal. No wonder, no wonder
2: asked, Spanky turns on him in that match.
0: <laughs> we cut to Alex Shelley backstage. He says Generation X, something he's created, has cost him so much anguish. They broke his arm, but it's a good thing he's ambidextrous. He says the war between them has escalated and needs to come to a close. So we're we're building towards something. Happens in a few shows. Elsewhere, Brian Danielson, still in his trunks, is about to leave the building when a frantic Dave Prezak catches him, wanting to know why he didn't shake Austin Aries' hand tonight. Danielson says, After not winning the Ring of Honor World title tonight, everything he's done means nothing. He quits. Then and what I found to be, Matt, an unintentionally hilarious shot. We see Danielson walk away as we hear his little wheelie suitcase drag on the asphalt next to him. And by the way, he's not in plain clothes. He's just in his black trunks. And he's just like walking out. Yeah, he's just the- walking
2: out naked, basically.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was like undercut, like the serious moment. It was just. I don't think you can have a serious moment that is then immediately followed by a guy in his underwear walks away with his wheelie suitcase. Like, well, that's, you you know, would-
2: that's what he did after the Roman Reigns
0: match. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and um so this was writing Brian Danielson out for legit, because we'll go to the observer. Dave Meltzer would write at the time. The biggest news of the weekend concerned Ryan Danielson, who is leaving the promotion. Similar to Samoa Joe, he's hit a major depression point regarding the business. It's the deal of working his ass off, getting great, and seemingly not mattering, as WWE and TNA had shown no interest in him, although there is at least some interest in him now. And New Japan hasn't brought him back in nearly a year. He said he was tired of working US indies where it's based on high spots and building to lots of false finishes, and is leaving for Europe to work there all summer long and make a decision for from there so yeah for people don't that weren't around during this time or don't remember this there, there was a time where i think this was during the time where brian danielson for a second was like going well maybe i should join the peace corps or something like he was legit feeling like you know kind of talking about like i'm not sure if there's a place for me in pro wrestling you know kind of similar to what we talked about with like or how davy even just mentioned similar to some of joe on recent shows we talked about he kind of went through a crisis like this and danielson was going more Serious because you know with Joe it was just you know he kind of had a couple live journals where he was like oh man this sucks but he was then almost immediately was like you know don't worry I'm going to keep going where Danielson for a second there I, I was more scared that like Danielson was just going to retire you know it was like I'm going leaving to Europe and then maybe I just won't come back so this might it would have been weird Matt to think if this was like the end of Brian Danielson in Ring of Honor forever this this, we, been, this
2: week in wrestling would be pretty different. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. It's 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 kind of wild to think that this literally could have been like writing him out forever. But luckily it wasn't. When he would come back, we we will not see him for a long time in in through the years time, but he will come back and then we we will get a bounty of Brian danielson. But finally we get a little recap video for the punk Rafe feud just like the homicide danielson cage match got the night before and that brings us to the main event, the steel cage match CM Punk Defeated Jimmy Rave with Jake Chung and Prince Nana in 24 minutes, 16 seconds. Um, I thought this was, I, I thought this was another great match. I thought this was probably my favorite match on the show. Um, CM Punk's one of those guys when you watch him from this era He always – you could tell he's a guy who had like one foot in the old school and one foot in the new school because when he would wrestle a guy like AJ Styles, he was very much – even though I don't think that was punk at his best, he would try and do like the work rate modern indie kind of match in that pace. But then sometimes in like tag matches or stuff like this, you would really see how much he loved like probably the wrestling. He grew up with like 80s, more old school wrestling because – you know, there's a lot of I think modern cage matches in the last 20 years where guys just kind of go back and forth. They try and think of really innovative spots. They just try and it's almost like really innovative match that just happens to be in a cage and maybe utilize it for a few spots. And this is a match where it felt like a really old school cage match. Like when it starts, Punk is you know you would almost expect oh he's going to run at Rave to get his hands on him, but instead he's just so calm and relaxed. But it makes sense because it, you feel like. Punk's all re- acting like he's already won. Like, just getting Rave alone in the cage, Rave, he knows Rave is screwed. Like, this is the thing he's won for it. Finally, in this whole feud where Rave's always been interfere- having interference helping him and outside weapons and all sorts of stuff, like, he's trapped in this cage. He can't get out. And Punk can almost, like, play with him like a cat with a mouse. Like he's going to take his time. And for, like, the first third of the match, he just dominates. Like, Rave gets almost no offense. And, and Punk's throwing him out into the all- all the cage over and over you know at one point he teases like he's just gonna win leave the cage and win and he just instead he's getting a a chair handed to him beats rave with the chair and it's one of those matches where all the like the changes of momentum they all make logical sense because at one point when punk goes to leave uh nana throws powder in his eyes at that point, you know, Rave finally gets control. You know, it makes sense. Rave can only get control when the someone puts the odds in his favor. You know, go and Rave also then lays Punk out with a chair with a chair shot, which is harkening back to the Manhattan Mayhem match. And then he uses. The, we get moments in this match where there's a, a shoelace is used, which is harkening back to their first big Ring of Honor match where you know he choked Punk out with the shoelace. And then from there, you know. It, Again, both guys bleed, Punky, with his usual great blade job. We get lots of, you know, cage spots. And then it does build to more, like, just some bigger spots in the end of the match. And then another thing that this I think this match really works well at is... You know, we talked about on the previous show where uh, Homicide and uh, Danielson, where Danielson does the flying headbutt off the top of the cage, and Homicide's back on offense like less than a minute later, and it's not the finish. It's not even like the second last spot in the match, and we were both like, that's kind of crazy, and this match does not commit that sin. It, the The final spot in this match we can get to in a, in a couple minutes about the backstory to it is Jimmy Rafe taking a superplex off the top of the cage, and it's an amazing holy shit spot, and to their credit – That's the end of the match. You know, Punk wins with a superplex off the cage, and he, he wins by pinfall. Although, unlike the previous night, this was also a match with cage escape rules. And normally, I would complain about, you know, the previous night, they didn't have cage escape rules. They made a big point of saying, you know, it was only pinfall or submission. This, it was pin submission or cage escape. But I do think it benefited the match because it worked well because cage escape... You know, some people hate cage escape matches, some people like them a lot. I feel they work for certain wrestlers in certain kinds of matches. I feel like it works in this kind of match where Rave is the chicken, so he didn't want to be in the cage match to begin with. In fact, before the match starts, you can hear like Rave talking to Nana, being like, I don't know if I want to do this. And and so, of course, it makes sense, like, every time Rave is in control, and he, there's moments in the match where he tries to escape the cage, because it makes sense, he's a coward, he can't beat Punk a straight-up match, he just wants to run away, and there are multiple moments in this match where Punk could have escaped the cage, but he kind of shows you, I don't want to escape the cage just yet, because I hate this guy, and I'm having fun, like, just ruining him and destroying him. And so I think the cage escape worked for them, although ironically, this match then does not end with a cage escape spot. It ends with a pin. But I feel like this was a great kind of old school cage match and a and a great way to blow off the feud. And it was almost kind of – Matt gave me a bit of a reminder of like the Nigel cult match where part of the fun is – just like how part of the fun of the Nigel Colt matches, you know, you've seen these guys work one style and now you're, it's finally getting paid off where they're changing things up and now there's a heel turn that's been built too. I felt like part of the fun in this match is like so much of it is just Punk destroying Rave where you like – if you just watch this match on its own, you might go, well, I'd like to see a match that was a bit more back and forth. But I feel like part of the fun of this is if you watch the whole feud, it's like Punk finally – this is the final after the whole feud, Punk finally gets a time where no one can help Rave, although there is actually interference in this match. Uh, Jay Chung runs in, in through the door. Nana runs in through the door. There's powder in his eye. But still, a lot of this match is about Rave is finally in a position where he can just be helpless, and Punk is just gleefully getting his revenge. And uh, But what did you think, Matt?
2: I think one thing that you left out about the Cage Escape thing was um, – It gives, like, the main purpose it served in the match was to give an excuse for the interference um, in a good way. Because, you know, in cage matches, the whole thing is supposed to be that it keeps out all the outside interference. And there were a couple of interference spots in this match, and you could say, you know, somebody could find that pretty annoying. But the way they worked it in was pretty clever. You know, Nana was able to throw powder in Punk's eyes because he was about to leave the cage, right? The cage door was open at different points for Jade Chung and Nana to run in because of the escape the cage rules. So I think it actually did a lot for the match, you know, even though it didn't play into the finish. And, of course, you know, the way they explained it was that Nana used his high price lawyers to get the escape, escape the cage rules um, – put into the contract so i think they were really smart about how they worked in those to escape the cage rules um do you agree with with that aspect
0: of it yeah definitely <laughs> even like yeah like even the cage escape it just makes certain spots like the end the superplex more organic because i think one of the things we talked about with the homicide danielson match was like I think they get to the Danielson off the top of the cage spot or some spot where like there's I know there's a spot in that match where we talked about where like homicide climbing the cage to like facilitate a spot. But we go I was thinking like I remember mentioning it to you like why is he climbing the cage in a non-cage escape match where Gabe's on commentary saying neither guy wanted to have cage escape. But it's because they need to do a certain spot up high where this match, you know, if it's cage escape, you can get to a spot off the top of the cage really easily because it's easy just to heel tries to escape, face catches him, you do a spot off the cage. It, it it's it makes sense.
2: Right, exactly. And um you know, um I also one other thing it did was it gave them a chance to do some homages to the Heart versus Heart uh, SummerSlam 94 match where they're like both diving for the door and then like one of them jumps over the other guy to dive to the door and they're pulling each other back. So that was fun um But no, I agree with you. I thought this was the best match of the whole weekend Um, in terms of everything coming together. I thought the atmosphere is actually one of the best parts Um, from Rave's entrance and the crowd's going nuts. And then they do a really neat thing for Punk's entrance where um, they use one camera shot from the side, like the hard camera, showing Punk's entrance the entire way, which is just they, they, they produce the match differently. And I think that adds an epic feel. The other thing that I noticed is that they use three cameras in the edit of this match. Normally, they use two cameras, and the third camera, usually the one that's being shot by Shane Hagadorn during this era, is not used at all, except you know, and so, you know. I think Joe versus Kobashi did it, and I think in this match they did it. So you get some really different kinds of camera angles in this match, and I think that adds a level of just. I don't know, excitement and just importance and cinematic nature to the match that you don't normally get in big ROH matches. And I thought it just, everything kind of came together. You know, this was like, this was like Bruno Sammartino conquering a, a, you know, a final match in a cage in Madison Square Garden, you know, with Punk in the Bruno role. The crowd was just, this was definitely, so this match I would say was the peak of CM Punk as a baby face in ROH. You know, whether, you know, just in terms of him being the conquering hero in his hometown. Um, By the time he comes back for the next show, it's his farewell show. And then that's his last ROH match in Chicago. Um, So, and he only, I think, has three more matches in ROH as a baby face at all. Um, In the third one, he turns heel in that one. So, um, so I feel like this is really like the peak of that version of CM Punk in ROH. And
0: yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I completely agree. Like uh, I'm glad you said. It. Like, I really do think this is like the most over we've ever seen CM Punk, and certainly the most over just as like a pure baby. This like I know it's his hometown, but he really came off like just a giant star on the show and on this in this match.
2: And I think you know they did a lot of work to get it to that point. Besides it being his hometown, the camera work, the production, and they were they really built this angle really well. You know, if you think about it, the Ray versus Punk storyline did not last very long. No, right? It went from the first anniversary i mean the first of the three anniversary uh, shows to this it started in early february or and or mid february and it lasted until mid may three months um and really what three matches right three or at least three uh, singles matches right because the the one at stalemate didn't end up being a match right it ended up being uh him punk versus mike cruel and but it was perfect. It was, you know, just they didn't need any more than that. And the way it built to this, you know, they didn't it didn't um feel bloated. They just did what they needed to do, and it got to this point. And they had this really cool old school match. Rave was absolutely over as a heel. The psychology was perfect. You know, punk absolutely beat his ass, was totally dominated him, was by far the better man. Rave needed Nana to throw the um throw the powder in the eyes so that rave could take over um and you know they they both guys do blade jobs you know luckily this blade job was not as bad as the one from Manhattan though it was still you know a good blade job
0: you can see clear, clearly see Punk like like jab himself in the forehead twice, like really violently. And I was thinking, I guess that's why Punk's blade jobs are so good because boy, like I was kind of shocked at how like how fast his hand went to his face head. But I guess that's how you do a blade job—you just gotta get quick, quick. But it, it, he did like twice, like real scary. It's yeah, it kind of scary. You can see it, like yeah. I mean, he was good at it. I guess yeah, he was great
2: at it. <laughs> yeah um rave did a couple blade jobs but i think the first one dried up it feels like he probably cut himself more than once um but you know they 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 uh they have the interference they have like the the classic spots throwing him into the cage you know rave trying to escape them falling off the top rope and then at one point they're punching each other in the middle of the ring and gabe says this is what roh is all about toe-to-toe fisticuffs and i was like i don't think that's what they said roh was supposed to be about um toe-to-toe fisticuffs i don't think that was what i thought it was supposed to be up pure wrestling but <laughs> it was fine um i don't mind and um but yeah i i have to say that the you know the the interference you know normally i'd be annoyed by it but it worked i you know i still don't love that it ended up being you know somebody doing a move on a woman <laughs> like that's you know it's, it's sort of thing you accept in roh and um you know, or at least have to live with. And the way they did it wasn't so bad, right? Chung jumped on Punk's back. Punk kind of, like, slammed her off. Punk signaled that he was going to hit her, but fortunately, he didn't do that. But Rave charged and kind of Punk moved out of the way, so Rave speared Chung. You know, at this point, it's like, like we said, we're numb to it, unfortunately. Um, At least they don't do it on every show now. Um, But there was a point where Nana... Picked up Chung and carried her out of the ring and then just dropped her on the floor. And praise echoes, no respect for women at all. And it was like, (laughs) uh, so you're talking about? Is that like ROH's slogan now? You're finally being like you're finally being honest about uh, about what you're doing. Ring of Honor, no respect for
0: women at all. Um, I would not buy that T-shirt, but I would laugh at a T-shirt that said had the Ring of Honor logo and then just said no respect for women.
2: Yeah, I was going to say if we could have a um, if we could have like a pro wrestling t store, I mean, I wouldn't sell that shirt, but like no, exactly. But it would be funny to think of. Um, yeah, um, I do have respect for women, and that's why I think this is bad for them to do that.
0: But. Um, Happy Mother's Day, every every woman listening. If you're a mother or if you're not a mother,
2: I, I still have a mother's day. Listen, you're putting your foot in your mouth here, but I think you need to take it out. Um anyway, um so, but yeah, but no, I I really liked you know I also really liked you know Rave um, does that running knee strike and I really liked that there was a spot where Rave went for the Rave Clash off the top rope and Punk fought out so Rave hit the run the knee strike off the top rope I thought that was a really cool spot you know it's such a thigh slappy move but I don't mind it at all like I'm not the kind of guy that minds thigh slapping kicks I actually enjoy the sound that they make so I like that a lot and um, I thought the finish was great you know like it was. It wasn't anything that was too crazy, but it was so crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's a vertical suplex, but the craziest vertical suplex that you've ever seen, and it ended the match. So I, I just felt like this was as close to perfect as they could have done. Just really felt like a main event. Um, I do think the Jade Chunk stuff, you know, marred it a little bit, but in the context of 2005, you know, just, just great. A uh, great atmosphere, such a good atmosphere. One of the best atmospheres of an ROH match that I could think of so far. So I'm, uh, I'm very high on this match.
0: So I have a little more to say, but we've prattled on a lot. So, uh, Keith, what did you think?
1: Uh, I thought it was good. Like, I thought it was a fine, fine cage match. The cage I would give on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd sit there and say this cage is a solid 5. It's something where you knew that people wouldn't be climbing up the sides of it. And it was great, especially during the superplex spot where you could see the refs sort of holding on for dear life on the cage. So that was always a good time. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that it actually was the escape the cage rule. Sometimes those things are lame. But I think Ring of Honor had the fine history with it, especially with the Austin Aries uh, Cabana match, where Austin basically toped his way into victory by coming out the cage. So they at least had that going in. I enjoyed Gabe saying the fact that the taxpayers' money from Ghana uh, for the for the high-priced lawyers to make sure the escape role was in effect was pure Gabe gold. God bless him. And uh, you know the match was good. It definitely felt like a a nice conclusion to this feud. Uh, I still feel that Jimmy Rave is just Jimmy Rave and that's it. But uh yeah, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good way to wrap up this feud, especially with all the twists and turns that we've seen. Uh There were some nice throwbacks to the other matches that they've had in this feud. Sadly, no bug spray though. It would have been nice to see a return of the bug spray and blindness and sort of, Uh, That stuff. But uh, I thought it was a nice little ending. And the crowd definitely, this was the match that drew the crowd because CM Punk was uh, Chicago's favorite homeboy that wasn't Chilly Willy from ECW. So it was real good
0: so yeah the one i said i wanted to say something else the one i want to say there's there's a bit of backstory to uh the, the superplex off the top of the cage that ends the match this is something that uh jimmy rave has talked about both in his rf video shoot interview and the uh the great episode we often reference when talking about this era of jimmy rave that episode of an honorable mention where they interviewed jimmy rave he, he's talked about where um he didn't know that uh this was going to be the finish. I guess like the day of the show, Punk texts text him back when they were texting every day. And Punk says, you know, I've got an idea. For, I know what the finish of the match is going to be. And it's going to be uh, superplex off the top. And Jimmy says that he wrote back to Punk, LOL, like it, like, like you're not serious. And Punk is like, no, I'm serious. Let's you, The finish should be a superplex off the top. And Rave said that he had kind of thought about, about the Pepsi plunge off the top, but I guess everyone realizes that wouldn't have been a good because that would have required Punk taking, like, a knees-first bump off the top of the cage. But so Rave was not, like, he, you know, understandably nervous about uh, taking a Superflex off the top of the cage. So he was, like, saying, like, could we, set, could we practice this or something or, or, like, work this out? And so they actually set up the cage, before the show and then took it down before the show started to do this, except then punk, even though said he would show up before the show so they could work it out, doesn't show up. And then he shows up like after bell time and it's too late to go over it. And punk just says to him, Oh, it's probably better that we didn't practice it anyway. And rave was worried, but like, luckily they do the spot. And there is a moment where they're at the top where rave does slip in his footing, like a little bit. And rave was talking about being scared. Like, My back's to the crowd. So if I fall off the cage, I'm dead, you know. It's not – I can't really break my fall. But it works. And I I was thinking that watching that. Like it's so funny how in wrestling, like there are so many stories like that where – things are kind of actually they didn't do enough due diligence and things are kind of dangerous but it turns out just to be a great story because it works out well like isn't that cool that it worked out anyway but if that story like if rave slips and breaks his neck that's an episode of dark side of the ring like those say that same story of like punk said he would you know work it out and he never showed up and you know Rave wasn't comfortable like that would be ominous but instead because it goes works out great it's just like oh isn't that like a crazy wrestling story you know
2: um yeah I mean it's it's amazing you know how lucky in terms of like how few of those stories are where these big st- stunts go so wrong that it becomes tragic you know there are obviously a few very noticeable examples uh, notable examples but there aren't so many and you know I think just chalk that up to luck
0: especially when this is a show where the ring was already broken. I don't know how. And, you know, a lot of times that ring of honor cage looked like it was held together by like string and a prayer. And, you know, I wouldn't have felt comfortable even in the best of times probably doing that spot off the top of a cage. But like a ring of honor cage, which often you could see like the walls would be kind of crooked and kind of just taped together and stuff like the idea of I'm going to stand on top of this. And you're going to balance on top with me, and we're going to do a spot off of it. You know, this isn't like the scramble cage where you at least have those platforms where you have, like, real good footing.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, and, and, and sure. hey, compa- luckily for ROH, compared to some other indie cages I've seen, it's like cream of the crop. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, it's, it's, so probably, you know, you, as for every crazy ROH example, there's like 10 other crazy indie examples that you,
0: you can't believe actually turned out okay, you know? Yeah. So, um, the, the, that, that should be our show man um instead of the dark side of the ring, it should be about like things in wrestling that didn't go badly but they could have like the oh man well that well that would
2: be, or be, or that would be never ending that series
0: Exactly, we'd have way more seasons where it's like this could have been a bad thing but it barely worked out like you could do a whole episode about that delirious back suplex he took on the show like listen and learn top been.
2: 1000 <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um so yeah, that that's the match. After the match, the refs literally drag Rave out of the cage, which is one of those things where you're like, obviously it's perfectly fine because, you know, he's not really hurt. But you were thinking, like, if they were trying to sell this, like, what refs would legit do, just dragging a guy out of the cage by, like, his arms and stuff. Like, you know, not how you would treat a, a potentially, like, seriously injured person. Uh, Ace Steel and Colt Cabana joined Punk in the ring. Punk and Colt share a big hug, which uh, made me feel aww, because... They're probably not sharing hugs anymore. Punk poses on top of the cage as the crowd chants for him. Uh, Punk and the crowd sing along to his theme. And again, Punk just comes off as a gigantic star on this night. The crowd starts chanting thank you and then ROH. Punk leans into the camera and says, I'm coming to get you, Austin Aries. And then he starts screaming at ringside saying he's coming for the gold. So they are... uh, they're starting to build, you know, towards that. It's only a few shows away now, and yeah, no after-show promos for this show. Uh, really just a great ending where Punk comes off as as a megastar. So, Matt, what did you think about the show as a whole? Because I, I have a feeling you're going to feel similar to me.
2: Well, uh, you you had some matches that you were pretty disappointed by early, but like. The only thing that I was even slightly disappointed by was the title match, and I still thought that was like a really really good match so to me, this is one of the best ROH shows um, top to bottom in terms of in the ring like there were no major storyline developments or anything like that or title changes, but just top to bottom matches uh, you, you can 't really get too many that are better um, and a great crowd um, a really epic seeming main event this is elite tier ROH show at least for this le- this time. You know, I almost feel bad for the final showdown because that was a very good show. But compared to the other two May shows, it's not nearly as memorable. And this was, you know, this in Manhattan Mayhem in the same month. And then you add in the final showdown, it's like May 2005. You know, those are the only three shows that month. That's the best month in ROH history in terms of if you're going to get, if you're going to pick a month to just get all the DVDs from, you can't go wrong with May 2005. Damn. Like, what a, what a really, really good month for ROH, and this was just a hell of an entertaining show. Again, not not, an, not a not a super eventful show, although it does end a really major feud. Um, but just super good ma- matches, like uh, just really, really good.
0: Um. I- even though I did not like some of the early matches as as much as you, I, I I did not think anything was even average. And I think like if the worst match on the show would be say like Chad, call your Jimmy Jacobs. You're, that's a pretty good show. Probably if that's your worst match, because even that I would say was enjoyable, better than average, like a good little match. And I would say this is, yeah, one of the best ring of honor shows we've seen so far because you've got three great matches. I would say basically Everything in the second half of the show hit really big for me. Nothing is bad. Nothing's even average, and I could like. I I think Manhattan Mam has a special atmosphere. the show doesn't have, and
2: and like a pacing and like a through and a storyline thread that makes this probably a little bit better. But still,
0: but yeah, exactly. So that's probably the better show. But I could see some people liking this show better just because it does have like two or three I would say three like really like legit great matches and you have like a big end of a feud you know cage match to blow this off where you know the Manhattan Mayhem doesn't really have that fine finality to it but just great a great show and like you said like two of the best shows Ray of Honor has done in the same month in a three-show span just they were really hitting here and I also just liked you said it wasn't the most eventful show in a way i agree but what i do like about the show is i felt like it was one of those shows where there was all sorts of different things at different stages on the show like on the top you got the end of a big feud that had been happening for a few months you had danielson leaving for a few months but then you had like a, a big middle chapter of a feud with the nigel turn and then early on the show you had stuff that like Kind of didn't have any storyline at all, but it was you know trying to start building some contenders for the tag titles. You had the kind of a not really important but a middle match of the Alex Shelley generation next feud. So it was kind of like there was some stuff starting, there was some stuff ending, and there was stuff kind of just floating in the middle. And I, I like wrestling shows that are a mix of that. Like I like the wrestling shows where everything gets blown off, but I also like the wrestling shows where you kind of like there's all different stages of feuds happening on the same card. Um, Keith, what did you think about the whole show? Uh, whole show. I thought was a very, very solid show. Was there anything on
1: the show that was like, my God, this is the greatest ROH show or low away show of all time. No, but it was an incredibly solid show from top to bottom. It really makes me appreciate how wrestling today And the influence that Ring of Honor had on it in so many ways, in terms of work style, as opposed to production and presentation. Like, I think, I think, you know, as much as just considering this, I'm someone apparently that's in the biz, and I'm doing the air quotes right now because you can't (laughs) see me. Uh, You know, Ring of Honor was something where, as much as, you know, I was a big ECW fan, traveled to Philadelphia multiple times huge all Japan fan like, and, and pressing, you know, like a lot of press who promotions to me, ring of honor was one of the most inspiring things that made me really excited about pro wrestling. And that's why I'm glad that we have this podcast that we can share our memories and our reflections of watching this stuff so much later. And God, Lord, help my soul. Please ring of honor, please just get a streaming service with all these shows on there. Don't edit stuff out, you know, like just, uh, just pay a little bit more
0: of that fat Sinclair cash, just to get all these shows available for everybody, because that'd be great. And so, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the episode for this time. And Keith, I want to thank you for doing the show. Obviously everyone check out AAW. If you want to contact us at through the years, that's T H R O H at gmail.com through the years at gmail.com. That is our email address at Trevor Dame on Twitter is me at mayor. MGF on Twitter is Matt. Um, We have a a thread on the Pro Wrestling Only Forum Plugs Forum. And next time on the show, we will be covering uh, New Frontiers, which is – I guess you would say a ring of honor B show, but it has James Gibson versus Samoa Joe and Spanky versus Austin Aries. And I also think the last time Colt Cabana and CM Punk ever teamed together in ring of honor. So it's a fairly eventful show plus like homicide versus Kevin steam, which probably didn't seem like a big match at the time, but you know, knowing them now seems like a big match. We'll see how well that turns out. So a bunch of interesting stuff on that show and I'm excited to do that, Matt. And you'll just be you and me, Matt cozy together, you and me as usual. Until next time, have a good time, have a great time.